Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to Carriker and Smallman minus Smallman, Danny Mac and Randy with you. We are in storm mode this morning in Creveport, Missouri at 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Danny Mac. Great to have you here in the building. Oh, yeah. It was uh, uh, kind of an adventure to get here, but we got here. No big deal. And uh, let's go upstairs to uh, the skies and figure out what's happening in the uh, jet copter here on 101. Right, well, let's get this maybe up off the ground and... Well, Dan, as we look down on uh, Interstate 64 here in St. Louis, 6440, everything looks clear. It looks like there are no cars down on the highway there. Uh, let's move a little bit. Don't run uh, out of breath, a Randy. West here. Oh, no. Well, we might run out of gas up here in the helicopter, but we aren't going <laughs> to run out of breath. Uh, move a little bit west, 270 at 40, looking pretty good. Uh, go a little bit south, 5544. Everybody's staying home this morning, it looks like, Dan. It looks like everything's crystal clear. Certainly, as uh, we move a little bit north to Olive, uh, there's one car on Olive in Creve Corps, right in front one, of 101 ESPN. Yeah. And uh, I am Captain Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN Jetcopter 2. Two. Uh, thank you, Randy. We'll be back with you in 15 minutes. <laughs> and it's supposed to snow like throughout the. Let me check my phone. I think it's. Uh, I think it's like is, 11 what, you, or 12 or something. Do you think the AccuWeather guys say if, if they haven't checked their phone, they just pick it up during their forecast and say, sure. yeah, let, me, let me check the weather here and see yeah. what we got going on. They just on. go to the National Weather Service and then say, you know what? We've been doing a lot of models. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> and our model says here on 101 ESPN that uh, it is going to snow throughout the course of the morning. So just be careful if you're getting out and about. It's not impossible to get somewhere. No. We're all here. Matt Rocchio's here. He left really early, got here. Uh, so, yeah, just be careful out there if you're going to get out and about. How was uh, your trek? You don't live too far from the uh, station. Was it? Uh, about two minutes. Yeah. Usually takes about a minute and a half. Wasn't treacherous or anything like that? Nothing like that, no. Mine wasn't too bad. Uh, usually takes me, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get here. Probably took me 20, 25, something like that. Not bad. Matthew? No. Man, you got it all? really early. Yeah, I uh, I left my house about 5 a.m., got here just about right before 6. Um, really, it's if you take your time, it, it's not that bad. The, the biggest issue for me was coming on 270 is that the lanes are shifting just at any moment's notice. I mean, you know, it's clear for one moment, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're 10 feet over to the right, staying in kind of what looks like the same lane, but it's not. Uh, so that's kind of the fun part about this morning. Just go slow and... And, and, you know, why, really be checking your blind spots because the lanes are just, they're non-existent right and now. And the winter storm warning will stay in effect until noon. Right now, it is 17 degrees, feels like minus four outside. So go and build a snowman. There you go. You ever watch uh, Life Below Zero? I've never seen it. That's a hell of a show, Randy. It really is. I'll have to check it out. Life Below Zero is on the National Geographic Channel. And when I'm nice and warm and sitting by a fire and watching Life Below Zero, those that live in the bush in Alaska, I say, 
okay, I, maybe I could do that. And then I have a day like this, and I say, how the hell do they do, yeah. you know, do this every day when it's minus 30? I don't know how they do it. I could never handle that. Yeah. All right, here's what's going on in the world of sports. Last night in Fairfax, Virginia, St. Louis University pulls off a 92-90 to double overtime victory over George Mason. Yuri Collins, Dan, with a career-high 35, including the buzzer-beating layup. He had 13 assists, and SLU wins their fourth in a row. Big win for the Billikens. That was a huge win for the Bills. At one point, they were up by 14. I watched the game. I don't know if you had the chance to, to watch it, but what I noticed was the fact that Yuri Collins, he could feel it, and so he was mm-hmm. shooting more, and I, I think that's the next step in his game. I think everybody understands that he can drive, and he's in a, a, just an incredible uh, and efficient passer. His his assist-to-turnover ratio is one of the best in, in basketball. The fact that he's been left off the Bob Cousy Award for the top yeah. point guard in the in the country is I, I don't understand that. He should, he should at least still be on the list. Right. He may not win it, but he still, still should be on the list. He leads the country in assists, but he was able to shoot the ball. And, Randy, if he can shoot, that means that teams are going to have to extend on him and, and, and keep him honest. Like, they're mm-hmm. going to have to say, hey, this guy can fill it up, so we got to not double on the post or cheat to another way defensively. And then all of a sudden, he's one-on-one with somebody, right. drives, and then somebody has to come over, and then he's dishing. Um, I think it was 11. I think he had 24 shots. He went 11 to 24, mm-hmm. hit a couple of big threes, and that's a big win for SLU because SLU has Dayton at Chaffetz this Saturday. Beat Dayton. Yeah, that's going to be a huge game at home because Dayton is 7-2. and two. The Bills are now 6-2 and two in the A-10. Davidson is 8-1. and one. So, mm-hmm. hey, SLU is starting to move with a couple of big road wins. And broadcasting is interesting. We hear Dan do the call of the Billikens on Bally Sports. But at ESPN+, Plus, which is a great innovation and a great invention, provides us the opportunity to see pretty much every game. But if a game isn't on normal TV, ESPN+, Plus basically calls the school and says, hey, can you get us a guy to do the game? And last night, they start the game, and the broadcaster's Twitter handle is at Mason Athletics. So it's actually an employee of the Mason, the George Mason right. basketball SID program. Right. He's the guy that's doing the play-by-play. So at the end of the game, while Rammer apparently was going crazy with the victory, this guy says, and St. Louis wins it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what you get. When you, you know, you're a hometown broadcaster. That's what you got to do. Yep. That's like with uh, when Sutsugo hit the home run against the uh, Cardinals <laughs> on that classic. Sunday. And it's gone. And it's gone. Man, yeah. is, yeah, it's over. <laughs> I was just distraught with yeah. that one. Mizzou at home yesterday. They played a 2 o'clock game and... They lost to Florida 66-65. The teams went from the 5.07 mark of the second half to the 2.35 mark without a field goal by either Ugh. team. Florida's Tyree Appleby hit two free throws with seven seconds left to win it for Florida over Mizzou. And 18th-ranked Illinois getting 37 on 16 of 19 shooting yeah. from Kofi Coburn, and they beat number 11 Wisconsin 80-67. to Coburn 37-12 and for the Illini. Did you watch any of the Mizzou game? I did. I was disappointed. 300 people there. Yeah. It was open, uh, basically open seating. Yeah, free so they, seating and free parking. Yeah. Just come on out. We're trying to fill the building. They obviously moved up the uh, start time and the tip for that game because of the inclement weather. That's a second straight loss now, losing by one at home. So they had, to me, they had that game won. And they, they led for the better half of the second half. Now, we were talking about the point guard that Yuri mm-hmm. Collins is with SLU. Mizzou does not have a point guard. I was going to say, Dan, if Mizzou had a closer like Yuri Collins... 
they'd have four more wins. Yeah. Or or even a guy that can lock down the opposing point guard. Right. Yeah. Which didn't happen yesterday. They they just have so many gaps in their game, Randy. It's it's frustrating. So they've got uh, coming up Texas A&M next. That won't be easy. And then they'll take on Vanderbilt. They could win that game. Vanderbilt, when I first was looking at the schedule after the Illini game, I wasn't sure where a win was going to come from Mizzou. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't I didn't know where they were going to get a couple of wins in conference play. I didn't think they were going to win in the uh, the challenge series with SEC and and the, uh, the Big 12. So I just said, well, maybe the Vanderbilt game is where they're going to get one. And I was thinking they would go winless in January. They didn't do that, but they should at least, I think, beat Vanderbilt. And in terms of the Illini, when you're that efficient, 16 of 19, Kofi is a great player. He also mixed in 12 rebounds. They're now 9-2 and two in conference play. They've got Indiana and Purdue coming up. They can win that conference, yeah. and when they get to the tournament, they're going to be a really tough out if they can get healthy and stay healthy. College football, Jim Harbaugh informs Michigan that he will return and that he'll stay there as long as they want him. A sports writer from the Detroit News tweeting in uh, the last 12 hours or so that she texted Harbaugh for an interview, and he texted back, yes, quote, with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind, unquote. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Except when the next team comes calling in the NFL and Jim understands the business of this and you last about five or six years and you go on to the next job. He reportedly said to the athletic director at Michigan that this will not be a regular occurrence. He wanted to do a favor for a guy that he had worked at in, in San Francisco, worked with in San Francisco, who's the new general manager of the Vikings. So he provided that favor, but then came back to Ann Arbor. Yeah, I ain't buying that. And also think of the timing of that when you have the kind of day that college football had yesterday with all these kids coming into your program and if you're one of those kids you're thinking what the hell's going on here so he I, told him he told all the kids i, I don't care what he told him the well if you if you're a kid you don't say what the hell's going on here you say okay i knew he was going because he told me yeah but then what if he takes the job that's still in the back of your mind you're, you're sitting there saying is this guy really committed though to me and to michigan and to my four or five years i'm gonna be here if he's if why would he interview there why even take the interview? So what if he was over, uh, just just blown away by what he was offered, if he was offered the job in Minnesota? And if he really wanted to push, I bet he could have gotten the job. Mm-hmm. So is this guy really committed to me? Why even do that? Why, why put yourself in that position in what, the first place? What college coach hasn't? That's true, too. Jimbo Fisher went nuts yesterday, too. Do you see yeah. that? Yeah. I like that. So he, he's, he was at Florida State and left for more money. Of course he did. And all these guys that are going off on the kids, I, I want to say, now, wait a minute. You, you felt it was okay to jump your, from your school to the next school mm-hmm. because you got more money or whatever the case was. But now that we have name, image, and likeness, and these kids have a chance to make this kind of money, and you don't like it, and we got to do something about it, uh-uh. That doesn't fly with me. No. Albert Pujols, obviously a great Cardinal, 679 home runs in his career. He still wants to play, is ranked 30th in ESPN's Top 100 MLB Players of All Time list. He is rated behind Derek Jeter. He is rated just ahead of Mariano Rivera. All due respect to the list that ESPN Do you have it in front of you, Randy? Uh, I will have it for you momentarily. Whatever you want. What do you want? Uh, Where Albert is in his... Group, I would love to see. So you said he's 30th overall, right? Yes. Okay. How many right-handed hitters are ahead of him? Okay, I can do this. And, for and you. if you want to throw in some switch hitters, at, I bet you know Mickey Mantle's probably ahead Mickey of him. Mantle is higher. Okay. Yes. So as we go from one to 25, let me just move down to number one here. I know 
for example. Well, you got the Jeter ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, Mike Trout is ahead of him. Mike Trout is 15th, Dan. And we were just looking at some stats about Mike Trout and Albert Pujols heading into last season. <laughs> and about how, and this is Albert's time, obviously, with the Cardinals. But Albert ha- is a better player than Mike Trout is. He was a better player. Yeah. But, boy, that's just, that's just, I don't know if I can take that statement. I But the, the numbers bear it out. And here's what yeah. you were talking about. You printed this uh, out for me, and I think it is fascinating. So this is from uh, Ryan Spader, the ace of Spader on uh, Twitter. He does a great job looking at these numbers and really putting things into context with these numbers. But 1,252 games for Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, where they were in their careers and are in their careers. So at that point... Albert was uh, 334 career hitter, Trout 304. 960 runs scored for Albert, 944 for Trout. Uh, Albert had about 200 more hits. He had 80, no, 69 more extra base hits. He had 21 more home runs, uh, close to 100 plus more runs batted in. And he had about 100. And the only thing he trailed in was uh, the walks on some of the traditional looks at how you evaluate a player. Um, boy, that's it's it's really interesting, man, and how you want to look at it. They're both great. They're both Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Uh, before it's all said and done, if Trout comes back from his injury this year and has the normal Mike Trout season and seasons, I think he does go down as a better player than Albert because he played center field. You know, I mean, you're playing that but position. The only thing that... Albert didn't dominate in against Trout offensively was walking. Yeah, I, I just it. can't give a guy that much credit for being good at walking. How about uh, the right-handed hitters? Do you have those okay, in front we, of you? We've got Mays. We've got Aaron. We've got uh, Hannes Wagner. We've got, as I move down the list here, Trout, obviously, is uh, there. Um, uh, Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt and Albert. Frank Robinson is on that list as a righty hitter. Uh, let's see. I'm I guess down. Schmidt with the with the gold gloves would maybe put him ahead of Albert. Yeah, I, I think that that's reasonable. It's not unfair. Yeah, put it that way. If you want to, and for his era, Schmidt was he was the best right-handed hitter of his era, like Albert was for his. And then as we move into uh, that group, there, there would be four more players ahead of Albert. And uh, let's see, you'd have uh, Banks. Oh no, Banks is at fifty-one. I'm trying to move. Find uh, number 30, but I can't. ESPN has this all messed up. But anyway, the, the people that are ahead of him, here we go, are that are ahead of Albert are legit. I wonder where Miguel Cabrera fits on that list. I mean, he and Albert. Johnny Bench is ahead of him. He and Albert are probably the two of their generation best right-handed hitters. Yeah. So you, you've got uh, Bench and Jeter and A-Rod is the other three ahead of okay. him. So a half dozen guys. Okay. And I, I can't really argue with some of the guys that are on no, that list I for sure. Either. But to say that Jeter's, uh, I, I guess if you look in totality, the the only thing I can think, Randy, with this is that Jeter played shortstop, so you have a demanding position, and he won all those championships. Now, you can say that Jeter had a great supporting cast around him, which he did, and he was a leader of that. He was the captain of that. He had over 3,000 hits. He was a great player. I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm not either. But I would assume that it's the championships that maybe put him over the top. So if you're looking, it's what makes these debates yeah. so much fun. You know, how deep of a dive do you want to go into in terms of, like like with Trout, do you think about uh, his speed as being a factor over Albert Pujols and the athleticism that he has? And I'm not saying Albert wasn't athletic. He was, especially in his prime. He 
Wasn't the fastest guy, but boy, he was a great base runner. Um, but Trout could steal a base for you. Where Albert, eh, if you needed a stolen base, we, he probably if, if the game was on the line, you, you got two guys, you're going to want to steal a base. It's Mike Trout. That's clear. But if mm-hmm. you looked at like the championships, the postseason appearances, the postseason resume of Derek Jeter, pretty hard to beat that too with a lot of those guys on that list. That's Dan. I'm Randy, and we're off and running on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Sick of It coming your way on the Carriker and Smallman with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it. All right, we welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, Danny Mac and Randy. And I'm going to be preemptive here, Daniel, with this one from the 636. I'm sick of hearing about how much people hate snow. Don't like it? Move to Florida and root for the Jags while you're at it. That's a text on the Air Comfort <laughs> Service text line. Uh, Dan, I'm sick of not having any St. Louis professional sports going on. I hate yeah. this blues break and no baseball to talk about. I'm sick of it. Yeah, I understand that. I That was kind of where I was going to go to. I'm, I'm just uh, uh, a little bit sick of just uh, the, the, the lull in sports. Now, we do have the kickoff of the Olympics, mm-hmm. which is going to be... Um, I think fun. I think they were playing last night. Somebody was playing a game. Oh, curling. Yeah, Cur- curling, curling. Was, yeah, was last night. We ever done Bulger. that? No, I, I never have. Bulger opened a curling place in Nashville. So we have to go down there or we have to call him to be our curling consultant. He's a good dude. He's a really good guy. Um, I have never been curling. I've seen it when I was up in Canada with the Blues a couple times. I went to a place that had it, and it was kind of fun. I mean, it, was, it looked, looked like it was fun. Mm-hmm. I just didn't do it. I was no. just enjoying it. Yeah. I just we watched. could be good at it. We could be really good. Well, you don't have to. Be. I did see a, a profile on some of the uh, curling guys, and it didn't seem like they were in, you know, let's just say wrestling shape. They drink a lot of beers when they're done competing. Well, I think that's part of the deal. Yeah, you, you have a little fun with it. It's kind of mm-hmm. like bowling, right? Exactly. You, know, you just you got a bowling league on Wednesday nights. You know, somebody goes out, you get some pizzas. You know, everybody's got some beers. You enjoy each other's company. You get. Uh, Randy's Auto Shack to uh, sponsor you on the back of the, the, the shirt, and you're off and running. Percentage-wise, of these gentlemen that do curl, how many do you <laughs> think are at home on a particular day, and their wife says to them, hey, can you sweep the kitchen for me? And they say, no way. And they just sit on the couch and watch TV. But they're more than willing to sweep while they're curling. I'd say it's a, at least 98.2. I would think so. <laughs> no one wants to take their work home, Randy. Come on. Yeah, that's, that's a good, good point. point yeah. That's a great point, yeah. Matt. You know, 5 o'clock hits, you're, you're done. You go home, and that's it. Uh, I, I'm sick of, uh, real simple, I just, I, I've said this before, I just want the CBA done in baseball. Yeah. Me too. You know, it's a plain statement. I just, I'd like to see it done and let's move on and let's get down to spring training and let's have a normal season. By the way, uh, from the 6-3, A-6-3-6, uh, I'm sick of people t- texting in from Sarasota, Florida, saying <laughs> it's a beautiful 65 and sunny in Sar- Sarasota, Florida. Maybe it's McCarver because he's right <laughs> down in that area. I need to call Tim and see what's going on with him. I haven't talked to him in a while. Oh, you got to say hi. Yeah, I, I haven't had the yeah. chance to visit with him in a while, but uh, he's down in that Florida area and I'm sure enjoying the sunshine and the warm mm-hmm. weather. And uh, 
I think we're all looking forward to a little warm weather at some point here pretty soon. From the 636, I live in Austin, Texas, and we're getting a significant sleet and ice storm even today. I'm a winter lover, but I'm sick of having to deal with preparations that I normally wouldn't have to do back uh, back home in St. Louis, like uh, drip pipes every time the temperature falls below 32. I get that. Yeah, if you're in Texas, this is like, this shuts down your city. I was in Dallas for the Super Bowl when they had the ice storm. And it was the one where uh, DeMarco got on TMZ. Yeah. And why, why did he go on TMZ? I forgot. Refresh my so memory. So he and Michelle were going to a Super Bowl party, uh-huh. and he parked in a no-parking zone. Oh, okay. And okay. so well, the, the parking attendant said, you can't park there. He said, uh, it was supposed to be valet, and he gotcha. just parked it himself because it was icing outside. And he's walking in, and the guy said, we're going to tow your car. And DeMarco says... Don't let it to rental. I don't care. <laughs> Great. So we're all we're all sitting at dinner, and this shows up on TMZ on everybody's phones. And Demarco says, "Oh man, my mom's gonna see this." <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. But they had no idea how to get around in Dallas. Three one four says we have a curling club in St. Louis. We would love to have you guys. Okay, we got to get out and curl. All right, I can do that. It's like shuffleboard on ice with uh, brooms. Yeah. From this five seven three. Sick of it. I don't care about the CBA. Don't care about what the owners and players. Uh, now we have this weather. Just sick of it. I want baseball. I want baseball, too. Yeah, we do. 314, are you guys serious? There's wall-to-wall college basketball every night. The parody in the league this year is incredible. Go Bills. I no, said you, professional you said professional. Right. I did say that. Yes. you had yeah. a, So we got you on a technicality. Not yeah. you, but the 314. Yeah. We understand what you're saying. No, we... we <laughs> Talked college basketball in the first segment. Great win by the Bills. Yuri Collins was awesome. I'm a Billiken season ticket holder. I love yeah. the Billikens. Are you going to go Saturday? Yes. Saturday. Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Okay, I'll be there. It's, uh, I think, a 1 o'clock tip. Dayton in town. And uh, that Dayton. should be a huge crowd. Yep. I mean, it, it, you Our know, if, Cup, baby. if you're talking about going out and supporting the Bills, this is the game to do it. Great. This is a huge it, yeah. game, yep. you know. From the 636, I'm sick of being a supposed HR professional, but in reality... I'm just the office babysitter. <laughs> I think that's a lot. There's a lot of truth to I that. I think there probably is, yeah. People come in, kind of spill their guts to you, and, you know, maybe you're more of like a therapist. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, and, and totally a babysitter. Like, one person will say, hey, my workspace wasn't uh, cleaned up to my satisfaction or something like that. I can't imagine you ever going to HR, either being called in by HR or going to HR. Could you imagine me being HR? No, because you would just say... Get over it. I to deal with it. Yeah. yeah, just deal with it. Even, but you can't do that, Randy. No, I know. I There's can't. very serious matters that happen in the workplace, but like on some of the lesser matters, like hey, my workspace wasn't clean, or you know, my trash can wasn't emptied. You, yeah. You'd go off on somebody. By the way, they only had one HR person for that Washington football team. Is that right? You talk about a dysfunctional organization. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They had one for those hundreds of people, and they must have had. 50 people that had legitimate gripes and complaints. Absolutely. Could HR. you imagine? Yeah. And it, not it, legitimate, but serious. Right. Like, we, we, really in, serious. In the owner's suite. Stuff is happening in with the owner and in the owner's suite. Was it really? Oh, yeah. There's some quotes. It came out uh, yesterday on Real Sports on HBO. On the record quotes of things that happened in the owner's suite. Do you think the NFL... And I'm sure it's been broached, but how do they get Dan Snyder out of there with all these different things that have happened with him? You think they can ever force him out like they did Donald Sterling? I think it'd be very difficult. I think they've pretty much forced him out as much as they can by allegedly taking him away from the day-to-day operations of the team. I would think there's a greater likelihood of Stephen Ross because of the gambling issue being pushed out than Snyder. 
What do you think is going to happen with that, the fallout? I don't think the NFL believes it yet, and I think the NFL believes they're above this. I don't think that they're going to get away with it. I think they're going to, again, these are good lawyers that... Yeah, I I just, I I wonder though, Randy, it's allegations at this point, and we need, you know, you got to say that it's allegations, Mm -hmm. but um, unless you have something in your back pocket that is proved, you can prove it's tangible. You have the receipts is what Mm -hmm. a lot of people call it of, hey, he did this, or you have other people that can back up your story that were there. It's he said, she said kind of thing, right? right? And last night of all outlets, NFL Network reported that they have a witness to Ross offering the $100,000 per loss. Oh, is that right? The NFL Network reported that, that there's a witness. Yeah. Yeah. So one more here. A sensitive subject, I know, but I'm sick of hearing about NFL coaches and owners. Hire the best person for the job, regardless of whether they're black, white, green, blue, or purple. And that's precisely the problem, is that the owners aren't doing that. And that's why it is a topic. Jim Caldwell took the Detroit Lions to the playoffs twice. Yes. The Detroit Lions. Yes. And he got fired after going 9-7 and and hasn't had a job since. You think we're going to have more fallout like we had yesterday? So you and I left the station uh, after we did the show. All of a sudden, you're hearing about the Cleveland Browns and their mm-hmm. situation. And now that you're having some of these coaches come out and and go on the record, and it takes guts to do that, you wonder if others feel empowered by that to say, you know what, let me tell you about my situation too. And it's one of those things that it's a trickle down mm-hmm. to where these guys feel empowered and feel comfortable enough going on the record and having the guts to do it because it takes guts because right. you could get, you know, you could be out of the league. You, you may not get a job again. And all of a sudden, you're, you're out there doing those kind of things and being able to, to bring this to light. That's It's very, very powerful. And, Dan, I do believe that there are some of these owners who have bad intentions. They're just uh, scurrilous people. I believe that most NFL ownerships are just completely incompetent and probably in the lower 25% of intelligence. Most of these people inherited their franchise. Stephen Ross didn't. But most of these people inherited their franchise and are not the the sharpest pencils in the box. And I have to believe that that's one of the things that probably turned off Jim Harbaugh about Minnesota is he goes and sees so the Will family isn't around. They're disinterested in the day-to-day of the franchise. They don't do a really good job in terms of owning a franchise. And like Jimmy Garoppolo said the other day, I just want to go somewhere where they're trying to win. There, There are a handful of franchises that get it, that understand how to do it. Well, I've said it a lot of times, and I'm sure you'll agree with this in sports, whether it's MLB, football, hockey, basketball, a lot of times these sports and these owners, this is just a portfolio. This is part of the portfolio. Mm -hmm. This is not the family business. This is not where we make our living. This is not where we are invested. I mean, we invested monetarily, but our heart, our passion is not involved with that particular franchise. It's just another thing that makes money for us. And that's and that's where the passion leaves. Hey, thank you very much for the text. We do appreciate it. Coming up, we're going to go back to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. And Greg Amsinger, MLB Network, will tell us where he thinks Albert should fall among the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Dan McLaughlin and for Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us and always great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and visit with our friend, native St. Louis and product of the Lindenwood University. Dan is, I am, and so is Greg Amzinger of MLB Network. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. I got a uh, report that there's, uh, there's optimism, fellas. Optimism from my guys inside the room that, they're agreeing on things. There are things that they didn't assume at this time on the calendar the other side would be willing to bend, and there's there's back and forth. So what I can report is there's optimism. I'm not saying there's going to be a deal done anytime soon, but they're, they're feeling much better about this current situation of this lockout than they did a week ago. I, I would think maybe, Greg, they're, they're agreeing on some of the – secondary stuff but still the the really hard economic issues have to be met head on and that's where it's gonna get eh, get your popcorn ready i guess huh yeah i think the number one sticking point more than likely is the minimum salary because the majority of players as you guys know make the minimum salary that that's a large number of humans so for the owners to just raise two hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollar plus per player might not sound like a lot in the grand spectrum of things when you're looking at Max Scherzer getting a three-year deal for $130 million. But for what they look at and their budgets and their operating costs, that is a ridiculous amount of money. So they're going to continue to go back. I, I, I hope there is a meeting point on that one particular issue because if that is make or break, it, it could last a while. Greg, obviously neither team, neither side has the appetite to – not play games. Both sides want 162. Two years ago during the COVID shutdown, players wanted to play as many games as they could possibly play. Who do you think is under more pressure to get those 162 in? Is it the owners or the players? I think the players have more pressure. Uh, the salaries are very high now. I mean, there are guys that are going to be making, you know, $7 million a check. I mean, that's how crazy it is uh, in terms of the salaries, which is good for the players. Obviously, you want them to make the most money possible. The thing about uh, the economics of baseball, the, the owners don't make as much of a profit in the first month of the regular season as people think. We, we view the month of April as uh, opening day, packed house, all the pageantry. It's like that all the time in the month of April. No, it actually is not. Guys, are, kids are still in school. Weather's terrible. A lot of delays, rainouts, things like that. So that first month, uh, isn't exactly the cash cow. Therefore, the incentive for the owners wouldn't exactly be there. Um, that said, obviously, the image of it is terrible. No one wants to delay opening day at all. Uh, but from my own personal perspective, as I look at things, um, the, the shock appeal of having a delayed start to a season isn't what it used to be. It isn't what it was in 1994. Uh, we just got done with the 60-game pandemic <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, truncated season. So that's fresh on people's minds. And I think a lot of baseball fans will go, well, even if we play 130 or 140 games, at least it's not 60. And I think the owners have that in the back of their mind. Like, well, it, it's not as much of a shock to the fan base. So I'm hoping that none of that stuff is real and, and they're really uh, driven to 162. But to answer your question, I think it means more to the players to get a full 162 games. You think we go to 154 or 144 moving forward? I know there even prior to all this stuff, there was some talk that uh, maybe some felt that the season was anyway, you know, in some regards too long. And this was even without expanded playoffs, just to shorten up the season a little bit. 
Well, what you said was the magic word, the, the expanded playoffs. I yep. think that is a, a huge target for the owners. They want more teams in the playoffs, more TV revenue because those playoff games will be purchased. And, yeah, I think if they're gonna, the, the expanded postseason, I would be shocked if there was an expanded postseason in this new collective bargaining agreement. And with that, there's like a give and take. Uh, I think 154 games would make sense just because of the extended season for a lot of these uh, playoff teams, and there'll be more of them. So the the owners want more revenue. I think the players want a better uh, way of life in the summer. And if you're going to have some of the best teams playing on Sunday night baseball, and that, that, that already throws a wrench into their, their way of life, now they're going to be playing an extra week of playoff games. I think 154 games might be on the horizon. Greg Amsinger, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN. Uh, by the way, ESPN turned out their top 100 players of all time. Greg, Albert Pujols is listed at number 30. I want you to listen and pick out one or two egregious right-handed hitters if you think there is an argument for one of these hitters against Albert. So I'm going to give you the right-handed hitters on the list that are ahead of Albert, who's at number 30. Mays, Aaron, Hannes Wagner, Trout, Mike Schmidt, Frank Robinson, Hornsby, Ricky Henderson, he had a different skill set. It wasn't because he was a right-handed hitter, obviously. A-Rod, Jeter, obviously in there for a different reason. Bench, and then Albert. Are there any of the right-handed hitters in there that you think, okay, Albert should absolutely be ahead of that guy? Uh, I mean, to me, I'm sorry, but he's got to be ahead of Derek Jeter. Uh, Derek Jeter is the winner, and and we like to brand guys as the winner. But are you telling me if Derek Jeter wasn't the starting shortstop of the New York Yankees that they wouldn't have won all those championships? Honest to God, honestly, honestly. I, great player, Hall of Famer. I get it. But if you took another all-star player, another all-star shortstop, and put him to Albert Pujols in the best first 11 seasons, you couldn't start a career better than Albert Pujols did. Second to that would probably be what Mike Trout has done. Um, I, 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 Man, I'm sorry. I have a hard time with that. Uh, Ricky Henderson, obviously, is the overall speedster, like you said. Uh, but the rest of those guys. Pretty good, huh? I mean, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good list. I hate the fact that A-Rod's in front of him. I mean, I'm sorry. Right. I, that bothers me. It really does. But ESPN is uh, taking a different approach when it comes to the way they view those kind of players. But, yeah, it, it's pretty close. But I would put Albert Pujols in front of Derek Jeter. Yeah, if a guy's on your payroll, you probably got to put him up. At number 26, right? That, that's just that, that's part of the that's deal. By the way, Joe Posnanski did a book, a great book, and he spent 10 years writing it. He's got Albert at number 23 of the all-time players. And I, I, I don't disagree with either of these approaches or either of these lists because they're all very, very subjective. But I, I agree with you. Albert Pujols was clearly a better player than Derek Jeter. Now, Albert Pujols carried a franchise for his 11 years here that went to three World Series, won a pair of them. And, Greg, when you look at Jeter, your argument is strong. The old one, well, what happens if he's taken by the Houston Astros? I think that's as legit. 100%. And no joke, I've had a chance to meet, hang out with Derek Jeter a couple times. Derek Jeter would agree with us. Derek Jeter would agree with us. He understood what it took to win. He knew who the great players were. And obviously he's assessing talent now with the Marlins. Albert Pujols breathed different air, and all the players knew it. He was special. And for him to be such a marked man and be that consistent for the first 11 years, you're playing like a first ballot unanimous Hall of Famer from Jump Street. 
all the way until the end uh, in St. Louis. It was crazy what happened after he left St. Louis, which I think is, has rebranded him a bit. Uh, Derek Jeter did kind of, you know, uh, whitewash his own history by not being even a league average shortstop for the last three or four years of his career. But people are still branded by the pinstripes, branded by the world championships, him pumping his fist, the movie ending to his last at bat at Yankee Stadium. He had more famous moments. But I, I'm with you, man. I think Albert Pujols, I, it's, it, you're hard-pressed to find someone as a pure hitter. These lists are all about players. But when it came to, if it comes to pure hitters, where would he be on that list? I think he'd be a top ten. You know, Greg, I don't know how many guys are still left unsigned uh, currently among the, the Players Association, but I, I start thinking about visas for guys that live out of the country, unsigned players, DH getting in play. I mean, there is so much business and red tape to cut through to get this thing going. It's it's going to be kind of the wild, wild west, which could be fun like we had right before the deadline of the, uh, the, the lockout. Uh, it, it could be even faster and even more frantic than what we saw right before the lockout, Dan. Matter of fact, I think I'm expecting that to happen. I know front offices are in waiting mode, and they're ready to pounce. Like, they're all working now with a plan of attack right when they get the green light because they're competing against each other in this short amount of time that we've we've never seen before uh, to hurry up and get an opening day, which I think is going to happen. I I still think we're going to have a truncated spring training mid-March that will push, maybe push opening day back a little bit. All this talk of May 1st being opening day, I'm not buying that. I'm not. So I think they're going to try to race to get this thing done uh, in terms of signing and and, and adjusting the rosters and getting all the guys here uh, to Arizona and to Florida. It's going to be a mess, the logistics of it. Anybody that says, I want to work in a front office, someone needs to get a camera crew, okay, and do a documentary on what, use the Cardinals front office, for example, what it actually takes in a situation like this, as abnormal as it is, I will obviously admit that, very abnormal, but if Work in a baseball front office. Let's see how much any of these people sleep for the first two weeks after the lockout. It's going to be wall to wall. Finally, Greg, you're talking to three gamers today: Matt Rocchio, Danny Mac, and I. We're expecting three to five more inches of snow here before noon today. Winds gusting as high as 35 miles an hour. I send you a picture. You'll see it when we get off the phone here. But the fact that we are here is a tribute to us. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Let me tell you something. This is, this is the number one thing I learned while I was at Lindenwood University. If you think you're good, make sure you pat yourself on the back and let everyone else know how good you are. And it has worked for all three of us. So you're absolutely right, Randy. You guys are awesome. I agree with how awesome you say you are. <laughs> you're the best. It was really Thanks. hard getting in here, and we made it. And, we're, you know. we're here. And uh, we, we love to hear that positivity, the optimism coming from the talks. Greg, thanks so much. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Take care. See you, man. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, um, 101 ESPN. Uh, do you agree with me? that we are, What? It, it's a tribute to us. Oh, that, that we made it? Yeah, that we're here. <clears throat> well, I'm not seeing anybody else in that sales office. Well, I'm not going to rip sales. I'm not, but I'm just saying I don't see you know, anybody there. They keep us employed, Randy. Yes, they do. I'm not disagreeing and, with and that. And they can part work from home. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, I'm just pointing out that we're gamers. Part of the pandemic. Yeah, we we, we, we sh- are gamers though. Yeah. We 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 answer the bell. We're Absolutely. The, we're the Cal this Ripken. was never in doubt that we were going to be here. Never in doubt. No. Come on. Coming up. You're next. better than that.
Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. The voice of your St. Louis Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin, in for Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us, and we do invite your text. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Matt is here to read us your texts. Danny, Phil Mickelson did an interview with Golf Digest yesterday, and one of the things he said was, quote, If I win the U.S. Open, I will retire. That would be my last tournament. I will achieve the career Grand Slam, and I won't have anything more to prove, unquote. Take it or leave it. At the age of 51, Phil Mickelson saying that makes what Tiger did at 25 when he had all four (laughs) championship trophies on his mantle at once all the more amazing. It does, and did it in a row, correct? Yeah, he had them all at once. Yep. So, yeah, it's amazing. At 25. By the way, I, I don't believe Phil either. I'm going to leave that. I think he'd continue to play. You're going to tell me he's going to not play in the Masters? No way. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. No way. That, now, that's a good point. The Open and going over to play in, you know, the British, I, maybe, I guess. He, you know, he said, ah, I'm good with that. I've won that. I can do it. Won the PGA. But the Masters? I don't yeah. think so. I, I think he continues to play in that. So I don't I don't believe him on that. But He's, yes, to your point, Tiger, unbelievable. Yeah. Phil is also a threat to go play on that super tour where the Saudis are handing out tons <laughs> of money to pro golfers. Well, that's the incredible thing. Like when Tiger would go over and play in Dubai, I mean, before he even put one peg in the ground to go hit the ball, mm-hmm. one tee in the ground, you know, he's cashing millions of dollars just for an appearance fee, essentially. So that's what a lot of guys do, and I don't blame him for doing it. Yeah. You know, if you get that kind of money to do it, why not? And Phil is bothered by the PGA Tour. He says, there are many issues, but the one of our own media is the biggest. For me personally, it's not enough that they're sitting on hundreds of millions of digital moments. They also have access to my shots, which I do not have. They charge companies to use shots that I've hit. And when I did the match, there have been five of them. The tour forced me to pay them a million dollars each time for my own media rights. That type of greed to me is beyond obnoxious. Those are the words of Phil Mickels. It's interesting, too. You know, you think about, like, the NFL, the the NBA, MLB, Players Association, in conjunction with the league, comes up with ways to then... Uh, dish out the product, the mm-hmm. highlights the, on social media or wherever it goes to the particular stations. But doing an individual sport, you are the team. Right. So uh, to help me here, Randy, I, I guess it's a better question for Jay, and maybe I should know this. I mean, the PGA Tour, if you're on the tour and you've got your card, are you a, a part of a union with the, the other players? H- how does that work? Do you have any idea? I do not it's know. It's a great point now, that he brings up. One thing that he did say is that the PGA Tour is sitting on roughly $20 billion in digital assets wow. that they control and the players have no control over. Wow. So if you're a union, you would think yeah. that you would negotiate that. You'd get a piece of that for <laughs> yeah. sure, especially when it's your image and likeness right. being used. Okay, this got stolen from me on the text. The text line must have been They're in brilliant. my head here. So I was going to, I had this written down. Take it or leave it. The Super Bowl should be on a Saturday night. 
I'm going to leave that, Dan. Sunday is the NFL's day. It has been for years. And like it or not, there are a lot of people, casual fans, that are doing other things on Saturday night. Saturday night is the least watched television night of the week. Sunday night is the most watched TV night of the week. So, yes, while we as a public would love to have Monday available to us or Sunday so that we didn't have to get up early. The fact of the matter is from a financial perspective, it's much better for the league to play it on Sunday. Okay, so then maybe take it a step further. Should Monday be a national holiday in the United States? There's the thing. Yes, it should. I don't know. Why why not zig when everyone zags? Saturday's one of the worst days, but turn it into the greatest Saturday of the the sporting calendar for a year. Because I I mean, the Super Bowl parties would get outrageous in a good way. But it's the casual fan that goes out to dinner or plays in a trivia night on a Saturday night. Are they going to give those things up for Super Saturday? I don't know. Super Bowl trivia night. If you're the NFL, why would you mess with it? That's a great point. I mean, you're you're, going to get 100 million people to watch, and it's about eyeballs on those TV sets. It's been that way for 50-plus years. Yeah. I, I do wonder, though, to Matt's point, if you zig and zag, what would a Saturday night Super Bowl draw? Because you're, now your viewing habits would be different. So I do think that some of those casual fans would say, I'm not going to do my well, trivia night. I'm not going to go out to dinner. We're going we're gonna to make this a party where you could maybe even put the game, uh, say it's a, I do like, well, do like a 6.30 kickoff. You know, roughly it's like 5.30, I think, St. Mm-hmm. Louis time. So now you're more into prime time on a Saturday. There's a reason, I don't Dan, know. the college football doesn't play their championship on a Saturday night, even though they play their games sure. on Saturday. It's, it's a point. point well taken. I, I get it. But maybe you change the viewing habits, though, of those. And I I, I don't tinker with it. I, I with Don't mess with a good thing, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I get you. But I do wonder, man, on a Saturday night, what kind of numbers you might get. Do the host cities also maybe make a lot of their, you know, make a, sure. make a good chunk on those Saturday night on the parties? Saturday night before. But yeah. leading into it, and then they still get those Sunday night parties. They're going to lose all that Sunday revenue if you move it to a yeah. Saturday. And I wonder if that's an issue maybe with the host cities as well. Could be. All right, your tech 65780. Matt, what do we got? Take it or leave it. The Billikens make it to March Madness if they beat Dayton on Saturday. I'm going to leave that because I even it would be a really good win. I think they missed two good chances. Well, they missed a great chance against Auburn. And I think the UAB loss at home, it, that's just a bad loss. It, it, it wasn't going to be a great win, but losing that game at home is a bad loss. I would look at it this way too, Randy. If, if they could beat Dayton this weekend, take care of business against St. Bonaventure, LaSalle, somehow beat Davidson, then... I would say you got to win a game in your postseason tournament. Mm-hmm. You are squarely on the bubble at that point. If, if they beat both Dayton this weekend and Davidson coming up, that's that's the optimal. But know, the only problem is, spot. though, is that the A10 in outside of conference play was mm-hmm. not great this year, and that's that's where you hurt in net rankings and various things of conference rankings. They've been a one. They're they're a one bid league the entire season so far yeah, if you look yeah. at the tournament projections. And yeah. by the way, Billiken's sitting third right now right. in the A-10 behind Davidson and Dayton. Right. Take it or leave it. It's National Carrot Cake Day. We should Ooh. petition this to be moved to a summer day so Randy can actually celebrate properly with the Traeger. I'll take that. Yeah, I didn't even know it was National Carrot Cake Day and I, I'm shocked Traeger's you didn't know that. Snow. This texture is always, this texture's are always on top of whatever national food day it is and I love it. I, I, how did you not know that? You are defined to by me, the carrot cake. Every day is carrot cake day, Daniel. <laughs> nice job, big boy. Thank you.
<laughs> Take it or leave well it. Well done. College basketball is fading, and March Madness will never be what it once was. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave it, too. I think if we can get back and get through the pandemic and get some normalcy under our belts of sports watching and our sports habits back, I think it can be there. And tell me if you agree with this. I believe that the NBA going back to drafting high school players rather than the one and done will actually benefit college basketball. 100%. Because you'll get to be able to know players. We guys are there for a year and then they're done and we we don't develop any favorites. You know, here's the other thing, too. If you're a local kid and you're going to go one and done, why leave your home city or your home, your state you school can go to Duke and then get drafted in the third pick by the Celtics? So if I'm if I'm a wing player, I'm going to Duke. Mm-hmm. If I, I'm going to go find if At I'm least a, you were under Coach K, if I, yeah, if I'm a big man, I'm going to go to big man you. But in name, image and likeness in this era, mm-hmm. Don't you think a local kid has a better chance to make more money to sit here and and say, look, if I've got to go to college for one yep. year, I might as well go to SLU. I don't and, think there's any doubt. And I, I can get uh, a good year under my belt, good competition, good coaching. And I, look, would I ever begrudge a kid going to North Carolina or Duke from the state of Missouri? Of course not. But in name, image, and likeness, you don't think somebody would step up from the area and say, let's take care of this kid. Let's yeah. make sure he stays home. Let's give him every incentive to make sure that he stays home. He's only going to be here for one year anyway. Yeah, I- I'm with you. All right. Thank you very much for your text. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, you get control of the Cardinals from Mo for the day after the CBA is reached. What's your move? Send us your text. You get to have control of the Cardinal baseball operations for the day after a new CBA is reached. Does it include lifetime broadcasters contracts? No, because that's not baseball ops. Oh, unfortunately. This okay. is just baseball ops. Oh, so all right. But you do get to uh call up Mr. DeWitt and say, Okay, can I spend twenty million dollars a year on, on Trevor's story? So you get to be Mo, but you don't get to be Bill DeWitt. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. All right. The day after we reach a new CBA in Major League Baseball, you get John Mozeliak's job for that day. Dan McLaughlin, I have my move that I'm going to make. I mow, I get the job of Pobo for a day, and I know that I have the DH in the National League. I have the Universal DH. So I am calling up the agent for uh, Nicholas Castellanos, and I am signing him to a four-year deal, and the money is not that big of a deal, but that's my move, and then I'm giving you the opportunity to be able to to say, and there's a home run by Castellanos making it 4-2. I I see what you did there. (laughs) You've been thinking about doing that. I'd say for, for 24, 24 hours. hours, yeah, <laughs> since you decided to do this just segment. Think about the opportunity you could, in the middle of, every time he said bat, you could just, you know, go in a, into a long sentence just hoping for the fact that you could say, and there's Cassianos. You guys are terrible. You guys are terrible. <laughs> like we're the only ones thinking it. It's true. That's right. How about you, Dan? If you get, if you get, and I'm pretty sure I will be putting these headphones on again. 
enjoyed our visit with Greg Amsinger. You can go on the podcast later and listen to that. Who else do we have coming up later? We got... Uh, Okay. Here's from the 573. If I'm John Mozeliak for a day, I'm see setting up it. huge You're celebrations for Smalls, Cardinals fans of all ages this season. I want to get the fans all the way back in. I can't milk Emotional the cash cow eating. without a packed house, and people are still wanting tickets. Second, I find pitching, pitching, pitching. Third, I would look for pitching. That's from the 573. Well, by all accounts, <laughs> let's just let me get this back on the rails. By all accounts, I think we're going to have a DH, right? So yeah. I think both sides agree that it, the DH is coming and makes sense. So I'll go, uh, you know what, I'm going to spend, and we're going to get a left-handed slugger. We're going to bring in Kyle Schwarber. Okay, good call. I like that a lot. I'd like to see Kyle Schwarber here. Do I think it's going to happen? I, I can make a case for it. We talked about it yesterday. you got these young hitters coming. You don't want to block them. If you brought Schwarber in, you might have to maneuver a little bit. You know, who stays, who goes, because you, you are going to have to do that. But in the immediate, right off the bat, boy, he's he's a guy that creates some excitement. Um, here's the other thing. What if you have an expanded roster? And uh, to the fans' point about generating just entertainment excitement, I- I'm taking baseball out of the equation, mm-hmm. just, just excitement. You know where I'm going with this. So if I got 28 guys, uh, hey, Albert. Yep. Uh, you want to come off the bench and hit against lefties? But that's all you're going to do. Understand that. You're not going to play hardly at all. Could be your right-handed DH on days. Sure. The lefty starting, you're going to DH. Yeah. And you don't think you're going to sell some tickets doing that? I bet you do. I think that would be a great move. But you'd have to have an expanded roster to do it. And here's the other thing. I don't want to block some of the young guys. I mean, Albert is – he's – I don't want to say a one-trick pony because that's not fair to him, but his – skill set now is facing a left-hander and coming off the bench and trying to do some damage and that's what he's there for and the question is if you're going for it in terms of winning a world series in 2022 is he your best fit or would schwarber be a better fit because if you get schwarber even though he's a left-handed hitter albert's not playing in front of him ever let me ask you this if you're yadi or wayno and i'm sure they'd say hey it's great to have albert back However, it's their swan song, and they're mm-hmm. the two guys that decided to stay here in St. Louis, and the other guy didn't. And it would be mm-hmm. Albert's swan song, too. It would. This would be it. Um, and it would take some of that attention away from those two guys. Is it fair to those two guys to do that? I wouldn't if if I were in charge. If I'm John Mosey, like I say no. But those two guys are recruiting him <laughs> yeah I, again it's I, I i'd have to go to those two guys and say yeah. do you feel comfortable doing this and their answer would be absolutely yeah. and i'd also have to sit down with albert and say albert we're looking at you as being a mentor as well a de facto coach um obviously you're still a player and we want you to do what you can do on the field but hey help our young guys mm-hmm. and we want you around this organization and it then it really kind of greases the skids for what happens in in uh, his post-playing career now he does have a personal services contract with the angels we all know about that but that's not going to prohibit him from making appearances no. and making a stop in on a series or going to spring training he doing all those things he doesn't seem like he cares about that by the way that doesn't kick in until his playing career is over so he could honor the cardinals and honor the angels it has happened before dan that personal services sure. contract ha- contracts have been set aside in certain situations yeah we've seen that yeah before. we have yes <laughs> so, yes we have <laughs> so there but you go wouldn't that be i mean 
I haven't thought about it in a while. And when he came through St. Louis, you know, his body's different. He's he's yeah. a, he's an older man now, um, but he still hit a couple of home runs, mm-hmm. and he still can do that. And he was productive for the Dodgers against lefties. So it's just something to think about. If I, especially if I had like a twenty-eight man roster, let's say spring training is really yep. pushed back and opening day is pushed back, and you know you're you're trying to say, hey, we're we're going to really condense this, but we want to get it going as fast as we can, so we'll give you extra position or extra spot, and you can put one extra position player in an extra arm right. or something. And one more thing about Albert. Even when he went to a veteran team that had won the World Series the year before in the Dodgers, they talked about his leadership just walking through the door. And if he can provide that leadership for a team that was the World Series champion, and they didn't win the World Series this year, but if he can provide that sort of leadership, think of what he could do to help some of the young Cardinal hitters. And that's my my point. You yeah. could be a mentor for Yepes, yeah. any of these guys. Right. Hell, Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. going go to go to this. Pitchers, too, by the way. That's right. Everybody's going to go to him and say, hey, help me out. What are you seeing? Yeah. You know, yep. it, it's interesting. You're right. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to talk some hockey with Blues broadcaster John Kelly on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has three convenient locations, Manchester, Crestwood, or St. Peter. Or visit online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and the voice of the Blues on Ballet Sports. John Kelly joins us during this little break in the Blues schedule. John, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. I'm enjoying the, the hockey weather outside today. That's what it is, hockey weather. Do you remember right? <laughs> when we were kids? We we had winters like this all, all the time. time. I I agree, yeah. I used to skate on the ponds and the, and the, and the creeks and the – you know, Creefcore Lake all the time. Um, it, it seemed like we got a lot more snow and it was a lot colder. Um, I know our memory is foggy as we get older, but mm-hmm. um, I, I, I really do remember doing that a lot. But nowadays it, it's, it is different, I guess, with climate change or whatever. But, no, it's a beautiful snow this morning. I'm enjoying it. J.K., I skated the uh, canal in Ottawa. Your oh, did fa- you? Yeah. Now, your right. family's from that area. So did you do that as well? You know what, Dan? I'm embarrassed to say, um, even though I lived in Ottawa for my first eight years before moving to St. Louis, I never skated on. It's called the Rideau Canal. Yeah, that's I it. Never did. I never did skate on it. But you know, I've seen a lot of pictures, and I've talked to a lot of people that have, and it, it seems like a really cool experience. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, my legs killed. Uh, my butt hurt. <laughs> my feet were hurting. But other than that, it was awesome. But I can say I did it, so I was really happy I did it. So I yeah, loved it. Great. It was really cool. It was a cold yeah. night too in Ottawa. We were doing it at night. It was kind of lit up down the canal. It was. It was just. It was fun. Awesome. I enjoyed it. Yeah, but I'm not a good skater, J.K. That's why I do baseball. Okay, right. I understand. <laughs> yeah, you understand. <laughs> hey, John. When we come back from the All Star break and the Blues start playing again, is there anything specific that you would like to see more of or better from the Blues? You know, Randy. You know, I think if you look at all of their their key numbers, the special teams, their five-on-five play, goals for, goals against. I mean, they're, they're really good. They're strong. Now, are they perfect? No. 
I mean, obviously they're not in first place. Colorado's in first place, so you can always improve. But I, I think the biggest thing for this team is to continue to play to its identity and to be consistent. And, you know, by that I mean, you know, don't have, you know, the blowout losses like we saw. And, and obviously that was the worst game of the year in Calgary where you, you, you it's, a, it's a terrible effort and you give up four on threes and three on twos and two on ones and, and play a more north game. And they did that quite honestly against Winnipeg in their last game on Saturday. Um, you know, on the first goal, Kyra is going back and runs into his own guy. So I, I think big picture, I think that they need to continue to refine their game and play to their identity, which is a North game, a puck possession game. I think a lot of people still think they're a, a big bruising team and they do play a physical style. That's what Coach Bruby wants. But I don't think they're quite as big and physical as they were a couple of years ago. But that doesn't mean they can't, you know, play physical and and play that type of game. But, you know, their game is offensive possession, wear teams down with their four lines in their depth. And I think if they continue to try to do that, uh, I think that would be their goals in the second half here. Hey, J.K., what, what's the consensus around hockey, whether it's media players, front office, uh, with the Olympics starting and, and no NHL players? Are, are guys kind of like, well, it would have been nice, but so what? Or are they really disappointed in saying, man, I, I wanted to do this, and this is something that was very important to me? Well, I think the players, Dan, that that would have gone to the Olympics and the Blues obviously would have had a couple of candidates. Yeah, I I think they're very disappointed. And some people have been very outspoken, like Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. Um, But, you know, I think the players do realize that the league had to pull the plug on it for very good reason because of all these postponements. And you got to make up these games. And if you don't make up these games, then guess what? It's it's money out of, of their pockets. So, you know, it was a tough situation. I would have liked to have seen the players in the Olympics. I, I can see both sides of it. I understand how the owners feel that there aren't a lot of tangible benefits to, to shutting down your season. I mean, no other sport does this, Dan, as you know. Right. I mean, imagine the outcry in, in St. Louis of in, in May, late July. They said, well, we're not going to play Cardinal baseball for, you know, three weeks. We're going to go to the Olympics. I think people would be upset and they would miss it. So, it's it's a difficult situation. At the same time, you want your best players to have these best-on-best best tournaments. Um, yeah, I'm sure the players that would have gone are disappointed, but you know, overall, I think most people do understand why they had to pull out. And with the situation as it is, the schedule is really imbalanced right now. But the Blues, you mentioned how hot Colorado is. Blues have played the same amount of games as Colorado, but they're 11 points behind the Avalanche. Nashville's played two two more games than the Blues, and they have a three-point lead. But Minnesota's played three fewer games than the Blues, and they're two points up on the Blues. So even though the Blues had a spectacular streak earlier, you have to have another one of those if you're going to finish in the top three in the Central. Yeah, it's going to be a dogfight, Randy. I don't think anybody really expected, you know, a team like Minnesota to be as good as they have been. I mean, they lost Ryan Suter to free agency, and they haven't missed a beat. As a matter of fact, they're they're a better team this year without Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi. So, you know, that's a team that to me has has really performed really well. And yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a challenge um, to finish in the top three, and, and a big challenge to finish in first place because Colorado right now is is so hot. So. You know, I think that ideally you'd like to finish in the top three, and obviously you'd like to finish at least second and get home ice in the first round. But as we found out in 19, um, you know, you just have to get in. And then, 
you know, take it one series at a time. I know it's a cliche, but these playoffs are so even and, and the teams are so good from, you know, the teams that get in from one to eight in the West are going to be so powerful. Any team could, could win any series. So I, I think the Blues are in good shape, guys. There are 13 games over 500. As you said, they do have some games in hand on some teams. But the bottom line is they're going to have to continue to play well. And, and priority number one is to get in the playoffs. And then number two, obviously, is to worry about seeding after that. And, John, to provide a little context to what you're saying about the top eight, we saw what the Flames did to the Blues in Calgary. And a lot of people believe, I'm one of them, that they have the best line in hockey going right now. And yet the Flames are in eighth place in the West, five, five points behind the Blues. That gives you an idea of how good the West is. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really it's really good, and you know you look at the East and they have the powerhouse teams down in Florida. I mean, the Panthers are just going great guns as we know, and and Tampa Bay has won back-to-back cups as we all know, and um, Carolina is a really good team. So I, I think right now, and we're still so far away. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just got past the halfway point, and some teams I think are just playing their forty-first or forty-second game. I think you'd have to say right now. You could you could say seven eight teams are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders, including the St. Louis Blues. But I think right now it, it's wide open um, for for those you know seven eight nine ten teams to to win a cup this year. It's going to be really interesting, John, with all the road games coming up. I think the Blues, when they come back in the calendar month of going from the tenth to the tenth of March, play only four home games. So you got a lot of road games. You got a lot of games against the Eastern Conference, and then maybe you're trying to figure out a little bit about your goalie situation too. How, how do you think some of this plays out? Maybe the the break for Bennington was good. Yeah, it could have been. You know, obviously, you know he had played a lot of hockey. You know, last year I know it was a shortened season, but you know I, I think Dan obviously you you just have to be consistent and and play it the best you can. Obviously, I know that's a cliche, but. You know, the Blues going back to, to, you know, the cup year, they were a better team on the road, quite honestly. And the road record this year is, you know, maybe a game over 500 or, or right around 500. So I, I think, it, you know, you asked me earlier about what the Blues can do better. That's another thing that they could, could do better is to play better on the road. And not that they've been terrible, um, but obviously they need to win, you know, more road games here in in the second half. As you said, they have a lot of road games and they're going to have to win some of those. So that that obviously would be a goal as well. John Kelly, enjoy watching this snow, <laughs> and I'm glad we do have a little bit of a break so that we don't have to drive down to Enterprise through this. Have a great day, and as always, thanks for your time. Okay, guys, thanks for having me. Thanks, Jake. See you later. John Kelly, voice of the blues, and he joins us every Thursday morning on 101 ESPN. Dan, last year the Montreal Canadiens played the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup Finals. This year... The Montreal Canadiens have the worst record yeah. in hockey. Arizona has 26 points. Montreal has 23. The Blues won in seven, went to Boston and won. That shows, that's a perfect example of how fragile it is and that you need to win when you have the opportunity to do so. We're so lucky that the Blues were that, as fans, that the Blues were that good and Bennington was that good and they won the Stanley Cup because you never know what's going to happen the next year. And Bennington and the Blues were so good prior to the bubble, you know, yep. prior to COVID hitting and everything getting shut down. I thought they had another chance to, to win a cup. I think the other thing it showed too, Randy, and we talked about it, what would teams look like when they came out of uh, a COVID-shortened season? And would we have some kind of odd trends in the game? That might have been one of them. You know, it was a shortened season. Mm -hmm. You didn't have the 82 games. 
things happen. I mean, for instance, like in baseball, you had the Marlins that made postseason play in the shortened season. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you catch fire, it's a shortened season, you get in, and anything can happen in postseason play if you get hot. And they obviously got hot. So that's kind of the way I looked at it, too. When you, Tony LaRusso always said, you are what you are after 162. Right. Exactly. And, and yep. in hockey, it's probably the same thing after 82. You are what you are. So maybe this is really who they are. And last year in a shortened season, you catch a little luck, you get hot, you make the playoffs, and then you go on a run. It might not really be the true identity of your team. Just look at the last. I'm, I'm going to give you the last 10 Stanley Cup losers. New Jersey, they're a non-playoff team yeah. now. They, they fell off. Boston has remained good. They went back to a finals. The Rangers have had to rebuild and try to bring things back. Tampa Bay obviously has won a couple of Stanley Cups. San Jose is in the midst of a massive rebuild right now. Nashville has fallen down. They're rebuilding. Vegas has remained good. Boston has remained good. And then Dallas a couple of years ago, Montreal last year. So, Many times when you lose the Stanley Cup Finals, you wind up not getting back and having to just go the other direction and rebuild. Okay, let me ask you the question. If you're doing this uh, little rundown in two to three years, mm-hmm. are the Blues in one of those teams that, where the window no. is starting to close and guys getting a little bit older? No. Here's why. Okay. Because, and I don't know if they'll keep Huso around, but Bennington's only 26. But nobody does a better job in hockey than Doug Armstrong of rebuilding on the fly. They've gone from that nucleus that included people like Backus yeah. and Oshie and Berglund, and they've moved on to a, a nucleus that included Tarasenko and Schwartz and Petro. Now you're developing a new nucleus with Kairou and Thomas and, uh, and uh, Colton Pareko. And maybe a guy like Perunovic ascends. I don't think anybody does a better job of replacing a nucleus, especially when you're always good than Doug Armstrong. Well, and and to follow up on that point, too, is we saw when this team was decimated with injuries and COVID. I mean, you were watching the Springfield team. Half of them seemed like they were up here and in the lineup and contributed and not only contributed, but they won games. So that's a that's a valid point. And how important were guys like Oscar Sundquist and Sammy Mm -hmm. Blay, you know, in that fourth line, you know, that energy line in the Stanley Cup run and then being able to take a guy like Sammy Blay who plays well and turn him around with a draft pick for a guy who's still young like Pavel Buchnevich. Right. Those kind of moves, the consistency they've had in developing Oscar Sundquist, developing Nico Mikola. The, the the balance of a good veteran top and knowing that you have to have those young guys going so you're not the New Jersey Devils in 10 years. Yeah. That's been so important. I think that's been one of the biggest through lines for the Blues and why they've been so successful. And how fired up were we? Oh, we got Clem Costin. We got that pick to get Clem Costin for Ryan Reeves. And Sonny's in that deal kind of as a throw-in yeah. and winds up obviously being as... Coach Baruby calls him the engine of the team. Coming up, we've got the fight for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. All right. We say good morning to Josh. I'm Dan McLaughlin filling in for Michelle. She's on a long vacation. She'll be back in the middle of the month. She's in South Africa for a wedding and then a safari. So I get to fill in and say good morning to Josh. How you doing, Josh? Doing good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, hopefully you're not on the roads. Uh, you're you're staying home today on a snowy day in St. Louis. 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm full-time work from home, so I just get to sit here and watch it. Nice. What do you do for a living? <clears throat> um, IT consultant. Very nice. All right, well, good luck, and you're going to take on Randy. You ready to go? Let's do it. What former Cardinal portrayed fictional Yankee slugger Clue Haywood in the 1989 movie Major League? Was it Keith Hernandez, Tim McCarver, or Pete Vukovic? Uh, I can't believe this isn't jumping right to the front of my head. Um, I think I don't remember McCarver or Hernandez, so I'll go Pete, I guess. All right, number two. Aside from his injury-shortened 2008 season, what is the only season where Tom Brady failed to win double-digit games as a starter? Was that in 2002, 2005, or 2009? Um, I'm going to say it was 0-2. There are only three pitchers in the history of baseball who have multiple 50-save seasons. Mariano Rivera, Jim Johnson, and one other one. Was it Eric Gagne, Mark Melanson, or Fernando Rodney? Uh, Gagne was my first thought, so I'll go with that. And number four, who is the only player to be awarded the Super Bowl MVP while playing for the losing team? Is that Harvey Martin, Randy White, or Chuck Howley? Yeah, I have no clue. Um, Let's go with Randy White. All right. Let's bring in Randy. Call him in. Call him in. Here he comes. Okay. I'm on All the right. Twitter machine during the break, okay? Let me put my headphones on. Were you uh, <laughs> listening into the uh, questions? I, I was not. I was reading a tweet from Jim Castillo. He's the meteorologist over at uh, Channel 5, okay? Yeah, and? And he tweets, The St. Louis County EOC confirms heavy snow as of 8.20 a.m. Why do we need to go to whatever the EOC is, the St. Louis County EOC, to confirm that there's heavy snow at 8.20 a.m.? Look out your window. Why don't we just look out our window to yes. confirm that there's heavy snow at 8.20 a.m.? Good point, Randy. Uh, you deserve a raise. <laughs> Thank you. I could be the EOC. Say uh, good morning to Josh. Josh, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you, Randy. Josh is serious. I like that. Okay. <laughs> what former Cardinal portrayed fictional Yankee slugger Clue Haywood in the 1989 film Major League? Major League Clue Haywood. I think, Dan, that yeah. I'm going to go with former Cardinal and former Brewer Pete Vukovic. All right. Aside from his injury-shortened 2008 season, what is the only year where Tom Brady failed to win double-digit games as a starter? Brady, aside from 08, I would say that he probably failed to win double-digit games in 2001 when they won the Super Bowl. There are only three pitchers in Major League Baseball history who have multiple 50-save seasons. Only three? Mariano oh, multiple, multiple. Multiple. Okay, okay. Mariano Rivera, mm-hmm. Jim Johnson, and what other reliever? Jim Johnson is kind of a shocker here. Yeah. As uh, having multiple 50 save seasons. I think I will go with 
the lifeline here, Dan. Eric Gagne, Mark Melanson, Fernando Rodney. I believe Fernando Rodney did it. I'm going to go with him. All right. And number four, who is the only player to be awarded the Super Bowl MVP while playing for the losing team? It would have been uh, Super Bowl five. Chuck Howley of the Dallas Cowboys. When they lost to the Baltimore Colts, I'm going to go with that. Chuck Howley. We have a winner. Ring the bell. The winner and new champion of the fight. Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. All right. Are you ready, Randall? Ready. All right. Josh is one. He got three. You got two. Hmm. So the former Cardinal portrayed in Major League as a hitter but was a pitcher, and he was really good. He didn't get enough credit for what he did in the late 70s, early 80s for both the Cardinals and the uh, Brewers was Pete Vukovic, who actually won a Cy Young. He did. Too. And he was involved with the uh, the Brewers trade that sent Raleigh Fingers and Ted Simmons to Milwaukee, and Pete was part of that. And Ted would not go unless Pete was a part of that and Raleigh mm-hmm. Fingers. So it is Pete Vukovic. Number two, aside from his injury short in 2008 season, was the only season where Tom Brady failed to win double-digit games as a starter. It was 2002. He went 9-7 and seven as a starter for the Patriots that year. Hmm. There are only three pitchers in the history of the game who have had multiple 50-save seasons. Mariano Rivera, Jim Johnson, and it was Eric Gagne. Gagne, who was up on the roids. Yeah, he did like a three-year deal. It's been talked about. 84 consecutive saves. 84 consecutive, yep. That's the all-time record. I think the next closest is 60. And I want to say row, yeah. that would have been K-Rod, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Rodney had a 48-49 back-to-back. Mm. And number four, who's the only player to be awarded the Super Bowl MVP while playing for the losing team? That is Chuck Howley. Did he have a couple of interceptions in that, like a yep. mm-hmm. fumble recovery or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. That is the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to our friend Bob Underwood from BigRedSTL.com. Big Red have had games in snow like what we're seeing today. We'll talk about that and some of our Big Red memories next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac, Randy Carricker, and people of our age, a little bit older and a little bit younger, have quite fond memories of the St. Louis football Cardinals before they left after the 1987 season. Some of my favorite memories, uh, no, not some of, my favorite memories as a kid are going to football Cardinal games with my dad. And Me the too. memories of the St. Louis football Cardinals are preserved by Bob Underwood at Big Red underscore STL on Twitter. And Bob joins us now on 101 ESPN, character and Smallman, minus Smallman, and with Danny Mac. Bob, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Getting ready to uh, go out and shovel some snow. Yeah, be careful out there because it's, uh, it's, it's apparently pretty heavy. Hey, we wanted to know how and why this extraordinarily popular Twitter page, Big Red underscore STL, got started. What prompted you to get it started? Well, I, like many other St. Louisans, I was a disgruntled NFL fan, Rams fan in particular, I guess. Uh, probably seven or eight years ago, the Rams were still here. And, uh, you know, I could kind of see the writing on the wall, what was going to happen. I didn't, uh, they were tanking, you know, they were going to leave. And 
I started looking up some of my uh, football cardinal heroes that I rooted for when I was a kid on the internet, and there really isn't a lot of information on there, or there wasn't. Uh, so I simply started a, actually I started a Facebook page and just started collecting photos and photo albums, and it really it took off. Um, you know, I started the Twitter page. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Cardinal alumni that are on uh, both sites, uh, family members. Uh, the late Greg Marisek reached out to me uh, a few years ago, and he wrote a great book on the Big Red. Um, and he, I guess he had a couple of boxes left, so he wanted to do some book signings, uh, some events, and he knew I had the fans and I could get the fans to come out, and, and he knew all the players, and, and he had the books. So uh, we had our, our first event about four years ago, and it went real well. Uh, the fans loved it. The players love it. You know, there's no NFL team here now. So um, I think the players really enjoy getting out and talking to the fans. I think some of them feel like they've been forgotten. Uh, and we've had several events since then. And, and uh, you've even come out yeah. <laughs> to at least one Love of them, it. I know. Uh, but it, it, it's been great. I, you know, I never intended for any of this to happen. It was just more of a, a you know, collection of photos and things like that. But uh, I really enjoy it. It's kind of a hobby of mine now. What's the reaction that you get from the former players and their family members and friends that, that reach out to you? So they, they reach out through Twitter, Facebook, all the social media outlets to, to get a hold of you. And, and what's that reaction like? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting now that uh, you know I, I had Mel Gray reach out to me a couple of weeks ago about helping him uh, uh, type up a letter because he wanted to send a letter to Fort Scott Community College in Kansas because they uh, disbanded their football program and Mel went to junior college there for at least one year and uh, you know so I get calls like that from players sometimes uh, now but um, the family members um, I, I've received a lot of really neat items, memorabilia from uh, family members of players who are no longer with us, who played back in the 60s. Um, and it's just a great feeling. And I, I think they really enjoy it. Um, you know, and, and the players, a lot of the players really participate on the Facebook group, uh, especially uh, Roger Worley, Tom Banks, uh, Mark Duda, who is a, a name that many have forgotten, but he's a mm -hmm. great junior college football player out east. Uh, he's on there quite a bit. So, I think everybody really enjoys it. Bob Underwood of Big Red STL, and you can find it on Twitter and on Facebook. You also, and I know you've gone to a lot of trouble with this, trying to get as much video as you can that you put up. How has that come about? How did you get the video and bring us all these great memories? So you can find a lot of that video on YouTube. There was an account that uh, and you guys may remember the old This Week in Pro Football highlight shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were an hour long. Uh, they'd, they'd have them on uh, Sunday mornings, uh, Saturday nights, uh, you know, over the years. And there was a, a guy on Facebook who would post an episode pretty much every day. And I would just go in there and I've got some software. It's easy, easy to get, <laughs> you know, and you go in there and, and you just clip the three or four minutes of Cardinal highlights. Um, and, and I've got a, a heck of a collection. <laughs> and I, I've posted a lot of it to YouTube under my St. Louis Football Cardinals page. Uh, but what's great about this video, you know, a lot, a lot of times the Cardinals uh, with the NFL uh, blackout rules, they weren't televised in St. Louis unless they were sold out, you know, 72 hours before kickoff. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a lot of us are, are seeing those videos sometimes for the first time. You know, we, you know I grew up listening to, to Jack Buck and Bill Wilkerson and Bob Starr on, on, on the radio on Sundays uh, for a lot of the home games. So uh, we may have seen the highlights on the news that night, but – uh, those videos that uh, are narrated by Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire are just 
their gold. And what's really cool, Dan, is that uh, I can put on Twitter that I, I remember a certain play, and Bob has them cataloged, and within an hour, as soon as you see it, generally, yeah. you'll put that video up, and it's so cool to have those memories come back to life. And it's not just for me, but for so many people that uh, that grew up and enjoyed the Big Red. Well, I'm like you, Randy. I, I, I went to the... Uh, big red games as a kid with my dad, and I've talked about it a lot. My dad's been gone for you know two two and a half decades, and it's some of my fondest memories is going down there and some cold, cold days at Bush Stadium and and watching uh, the Big Red. So Bob, I'm so happy that you have done this. Give me give me a story or our listeners a story or two that there's something that you learned about an individual or a player or a team that came about through this that just you love or it just shocked you or it's a fun story that you'd never had read or heard about before oh man there's a lot of them i bet i bet <laughs> I, I, I was i was lucky enough to get to know coach hannifin in the last two or three four years before he passed away and uh and he came out to our events and he was unplugged you know he you'd <laughs> ask the only thing we couldn't get out of him is why he kept neil o'donohue on the team for so long <laughs> I, think he, I think he, I think he loved O'Donoghue, and, and he, he really never gave a straight answer. You know, and, and Neil was an Irishman like him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of theories, you know, on on how you know when Coach Hannafin uh, cut Steve Little and his tragic accident later that evening, uh, and, and he kept O'Donoghue around longer. You know, worried that something like that might happen, but you know, he never admitted that, and we could never really uh, get that out of him. But uh, you know, there were so many great uh, Coach Hannafin stories. The, the the time where he fell asleep at, uh, at a train crossing and woke up and a train was going over the top of his car. It was actually Bud Wilkinson's car. <laughs> uh, the, the Clyde Duncan stories, you know, when he had him in the first mini camp and, uh, and they realized right off the bat he couldn't catch a ball. You know, the former first-round draft pick. Uh, Johnny Rowland, uh, this story came out uh, where him and some teammates, uh, they were in Lake Forest training camp. Uh, back in the late '60s, and they—I uh, think it was Sam Silas, the defensive tackle for the for the Cardinals—and they chartered a, plan, a small plane. And Sam was a pilot, and he flew into uh, St. Louis. And on the way back, I guess there was—it um, uh, was raining, it was bad weather—and they landed the plane, and it skidded off the runway and ran right through a, a fence at the end of the runway at Lake Forest Airport. <laughs> uh, and and he likes to tell that story. Uh, but there's just a ton of stories. And what's great is these guys, you know, and Randy, you've seen it when we have these events that they're so accepting of the fans to come up and, mm-hmm. and they said, and Jackie Smith one day, he had a fan, a fan was kind of sitting off to his cell himself. And we brought him up and Jackie sat him down right next to him and started asking him what he did for a living and, and, you know, just treating him like he, you know, like he knew him for a long time. So. Uh, these guys really love interacting with the fans. Okay, a couple of things. We were talking off the air here. Who do you think the best football Cardinal was in their 28 years in St. Louis? Yeah, I think there's, uh, in my opinion, it's got to be Larry Wilson. I mean, he had the most Pro Bowls. He had had a five-time All-Pro. He was just named to the NFL 100 top player list. Um, You know, we have four Hall of Famers, right? Larry Mm -hmm. was the first one. He's the only first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and then Roger was right behind him. Uh, Dan Deardorff, of course, you know, one of the greatest offensive tackles. It's hard to choose, but I think with the accolades that Larry had, he, he won the first NFL Defensive Player of the Year award in 1966. 
uh, when he had 10 interceptions for the Cardinals. So that would be my choice. And yeah, Jackie Smith as well as yeah. one of the uh, the four. Yeah. yeah. And then what Absolutely. What was your favorite, or now that you've been doing this and maybe you've come up on some things that you don't remember as a kid, your favorite St. Louis Cardinals memory? Well, yeah, and you kind of brought this up yesterday, I think, with the uh, and, and Dan, you mentioned uh, going to the games with your with your dad. Um, I went to the 1983 season finale against the Eagles, which yeah. uh, you know it's snowing out right now. We've been talking about the snow for a couple of days, but uh, probably the most memorable game. Um, and, and I don't remember a lot of it. I just remember I was cold. <laughs> right. You know, I was layered up, and uh, I went with my dad and one of his friends and my brother. We didn't have great seats, but I think there were only 20,000 people there uh, just trying to stay warm. But the video, there's a, a video that I have on the, on the YouTube page, and you can, you can find it on the Facebook page. And I, I post highlights on Twitter, but uh, O.J. Anderson had a huge game mm-hmm. in that game. And then at the end of the game, uh, it was Dan Deardorff's last game. So the fans were chanting you know, for Dan to come in. He didn't play. He, he was on the sidelines with, the, with his parka. And, he had, and Coach Hannafin finally got him into the game, and Dan had trouble getting his parka off because he had these gloves on, and he couldn't get the, couldn't get the coat off. So he, he had to wait another play to get in. I think he was going to be in for a couple of plays. Uh, but it, it was a great moment, you know, and I, I'm sure it was a great moment for him as well. Hey, Bob, has is, is anybody approached you um... – about I don't know where you would do it. I mean, do you do it at Enterprise? Is there something you could do? Uh, I have no idea. The Cardinals, something like that. But you're talking about getting a lot of these mementos and and various forms of memorabilia from the players and their families and this great video. Has there been any talk of like trying to set up something um, that that people could go to and celebrate the Cardinals? Like we, us three, love them. Twenty eight years here, only four playoff appearances, four Hall of Famers, but man, tons of memories. And just hearing you talk is bringing back a lot of memories for me. It almost makes me emotional thinking about my time down there. And and you're right, I was freezing my tail off all the time down there. Remember that? Yeah. It's it's just awesome to hear these things. Um, has anybody approached you about doing something with that, where some you know a, a, a fan could go and and see the the memorabilia, the videos, and those kind of things? Um, they haven't, but, uh, I, you know, I've uh, talked with the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame all the time. I had lunch with Tim Moore a couple of weeks ago and uh, Wes Edwards and uh, Greg Marisek. He was always, uh, they used to, the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame used to have um, an area in Old Bush Stadium and within the Baseball Cardinal Hall of Fame. And when the Cardinals built the new stadium, uh, they were told, I, I don't know if they were no longer welcome, but there's no space for them there so uh greg had like roy green's kangaroo cleats or <laughs> shoes you know that he, used yeah. to, he used to run on at bush stadium they've got a ton of memorabilia and they've been looking for a place to uh, display that and it, it really struggled you know um and, and they're a non-profit but no one has approached me but we're always kind of looking looking out for that and i would definitely donate some of my, some of my items uh to the to the hall of fame if we could find somewhere to display those items Finally, uh, I can do my basement if you want. I'm just, you know, <laughs> there we go. We'll just get people to come down to Dan's basement. <laughs> it, it is amazing for those of us that grew up with the football Cardinals to think that they've been in Arizona longer that they, than they were in St. Louis. Yeah, that is, it, it's it's their team now, but we have our great memories. And for a franchise that, like Dan said, only made four playoff games, never played a playoff game in St. Louis, never won a playoff game as the St. Louis Cardinals, to have the positive memories that we do is pretty remarkable. 
Yeah, um, January is always a tough month because it's the anniversary of when the Cardinal, uh, when Bill Bidwell announced they were leaving mm-hmm. and moving to Arizona. So whenever I have to post that on January 15th, uh, it gets crazy. You know, everybody has their own opinions on uh, either they they blame Fence Shamel, the mayor, uh, business leaders, uh, Bidwell. I, I mean, one thing we know is there was enough share to go around, uh, enough, enough blame to go around right. uh, to a lot of people. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, I, I try to keep it positive on the social media sites. I do document history, you know, so that's part of history. Um, and, and I try to keep it positive. And I think most people appreciate that. I, I've had a few a few issues where, you know, I've had to ban a couple of people that <laughs> get a little out of control. But you're going to have that on social media, as you know. Right. No doubt about it. Bob, what you do is wonderful. We really love uh, reliving those days with the football Cardinals. Keep up the great work. And obviously, if you ever need anything from us, don't hesitate to get in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks Bob, so much. You too. Bob Underwood, and you can see his great work at Big Red STL on Twitter and on the Facebook page. And Dan, so many great memories oh, of man. that franchise here in St. Louis. And we do get a text asking hypothetically if we would have rather kept the football Cardinals or would we have rather kept the Rams? For me, it's easy. It's the Cardinals. I would have preferred to not have the seven-year gap. I would have preferred to have a franchise here in St. Louis since 1960 and have them be our team and not go anywhere. That's that's what I wanted. And I thought it was pretty cool having both the football and baseball Cardinals. Yeah, I, I Generally, I, I, looking at that, what you're asking, I would agree. It would be wonderful to have then just a continuation of the same team, and it's your team, and it would have been a football-specific mm-hmm. stadium if it all would have gotten done. Um, I have two different ways to look at it, if I may. Yes. One, the Cardinals brings me back to my father, mm-hmm. and the Rams bring me to my kids. Right. right. I was able to take my kid, and so I to have that taken away from me as a father – of being able to take my kids to the game. And we we would make a whole day of it. It was fun. Um, that's really upsetting, more so than when I was a kid. Yeah. I was a kid, you know. Right. Like when you're a kid, you're a kid. But when it's your children, it's different. It's right. a different deal. And here's why I say what I say, because Dan Deardorff never got a chance to get his Hall of Fame ring. He got it at a Billiken game. You know, yeah. he should have gotten it at a football Cardinal game at a dome in St. Louis. Yeah. And we would have had those memories for example, my son was born in 1994. The Rams came here in 1995, so he grew up. He didn't know any other team. But he would have been born. He would have come home from the hospital wearing football Cardinal gear That's right. rather than Washington Redskin gear. And, you know, even further the story. I mean, you think about the Rams that have gone in, St. Louis Rams that went into the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and really haven't had their due here in town. No, they're homeless. Yeah. Dan Deerdorf calls his former teammates and he orphans, and they are. Yeah. And that's that's not right. No, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that they put out, and there was a and the relationship that players build with fans. Yeah, and vice versa. They're your guys, and and it's vice versa, especially when they get done playing. Right. They realize, man, this is really cool. Yeah. You and know, we and it's lot, been taken away. The business community at that time in the in the eighties was extraordinarily arrogant, and they basically said, "Yeah, we'll get another team," and then they did. But the problem was the lease that they wound up with in building the dome. Right. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, Jim Harbaugh almost left Michigan. It would have been really emotional. What are some of the other emotional departures in sports? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's Big Thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
It's 9.09 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And yesterday at this time, we thought Jim Harbaugh was going to leave Michigan. He is, of course, a Michigan grad. His kids are growing up in Michigan. His parents live next door. He's got it going. And if he left Michigan, and I'm sure one of the reasons he's back at Michigan, it would have been extraordinarily emotional for him to depart. Dan, it wouldn't be the first time that somebody would have had an emotional departure from a city or a franchise or a program, but that would have been one of them. But man, when you look through history, how many emotional departures there have been, and people can text in 65780, obviously Albert leaving here was probably more emotional for us than it was for him. Brady leaving the Patriots a few years ago, maybe that wasn't as emotional as we might have thought it was. Yeah, <laughs> apparently not for one side of it, at least. Yeah, but go back to Ray Bork leaving Boston. Couldn't win a cup with the Bruins, wanted to win a cup, and they trade him to Colorado, and he winds up winning one. And you could see every player on the ice was pulling for Ray Bork. I mean, they were doing everything they could to get that cut for Ray Bork. It's one of the great calls, by the way, in hockey history that doesn't get enough credit. Mm-hmm. It was Gary Thorne and... He uh, final seconds are ticking down, and he says Raymond Bork has finally won the Stanley Cup, something like that. And they had a shot of him, and you see the tears coming down his cheeks. I mean, it's just awesome. I get goosebumps thinking about it. I would think probably the most emotional one because it is religion, if you will, for lack of a better way to put it, in Canada. And he was your guy. He's Canadian's own, and he's won everything. He's the best player that's ever played. And Wayne Gretzky leaving mm-hmm. the Oilers to go to L.A.? Yeah. What? Cried at the press conference. Yeah. I mean, that one had to be probably the most emotional on, on all sides. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, that's the one that I, I would think of all the players I think about leaving a particular spot. That's the one I think is probably the, the biggest. And one here that didn't hit until later was when the Cardinals traded David Freeze. And then he came back for the first time as a member of the Pirates and got that standing ovation. When he went to the Angels, I don't think that the emotion hit. But once he was back up at the plate at Bush Stadium, that really became an emotional rallying cry for both the Cardinals and for David. I don't think fans, though, at that time, and I knew a little bit behind the scenes and stuff, David, um, and we talk about it now, I talk to David all the time, and... It was the best thing for him. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like the team said, hey, you can't play anymore or we don't want you. It really wasn't like that. It was more like, you know what? You're in your hometown and you've done and had one of the most incredible postseason runs and had the greatest night we've ever seen in postseason play. So you're getting swarmed. It was a lot of pressure. He's a young man. And I think it was just best for both parties to break it clean. Mm-hmm. And I think people behind the scenes that knew that and David knew that and those closest to him. So it wasn't like a out of the blue, hey, we're getting ready because we don't want you. You know what I mean? Where it's like, well, wait a minute. I, I've got my roots here. I, I don't want to leave. I love this place. And it's not to say he doesn't right. love this place. It was just probably the better. Thing. Yeah, the best thing for him yeah. in his career. So not quite as emotional. But, man, when he came back, it was really neat. By the way, another local one. How about the shock the day the Blues traded Brendan Shanahan oh. for Chris Pronger? You talk about emotion. And I remember working in uh, 95 at KMOX. We were together that night. That was unbelievable, the reaction to that. I was working the phone lines, and they were exploding. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, And I remember you were having to take the calls, and Mm -hmm. there was a baseball game or something that night. We came on the air, and I think you broke into the game. 
Yeah, to talk about the trade, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think another tough one was, for a lot of hockey fans, Brett Hall not resigning here, too. Mm -hmm. You know, and then he's then not only to see him not resign here, but then he scores the game-winning goal against the Sabers yeah. in '99, I guess that was. It was, and then um, and then to see him with the, the, he's got like an all-star cast around him in Detroit, and they're just yeah. doing rings around the 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 Blues, and seeing mm-hmm. that, you know, that was tough too. And that was we're, we're talking about all different kinds of emotions. That was anger at the Blues because they wouldn't give him a no-trade clause. And they said it was against their policy when Al McInnes, I believe, already had a no-trade clause. And I I think people were just pissed at the franchise at that point that they weren't even making an effort to keep Brett in St. Louis. And there was an emotional tie to Brett, too. Oh, yeah, big time. you know, not only a great player, but... He turned this town upside down. We don't man, have with an hockey. enterprise center either. Exactly. It's the, it's the house that Brett built, man. That thing doesn't go up without him. Matthew? To that point, the only time I ever saw my parents actually like get legitimately angry during a sporting event, and, and especially the only time I ever seen them, saw them react to hockey in a really negative way, was when Brett Hull won the Stanley Cup. That was the only mm-hmm. time my parents yeah. were like legitimately yeah. angry at something happening, you know. And it was because you know it was he, he should have been do, this should have been this this should have been happening in the Blues uniform. Right. What's going on right now? Well, everybody at that time, remember, Andy would say, "What what would it be like to see Brett Hall go down Market Street with yeah. the cup?" And he's the guy that did it after everything he had done individually with all the goals and the various things that he had done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the. They just couldn't get that together. I want to give one more national one because I don't think nationally anything has elicited as much emotion in a lot of different ways as when LeBron That's the one left too. Cleveland yeah. with the way he did with the decision. And the anger in Cleveland, the exhilaration in Miami, the disbelief around the country that he would leave his hometown. Yeah, I think in... For sure, in the last 20, 25 years, that's number one. I'll still go with Gretzky because he represented a country. You know, he had done so much for the Canada Cups and and the various things. I mean, you look at that line and the Dan Kelly line in the late 80s when it was Gretzky, Lemieux, Howard Chuck, I believe, on that top line for Team Canada, and they would play against the Russians, and he was their guy. You know what I mean? So he represented a country, a nation. He sure did. The the whole – well – their, the wedding of Wayne Gretzky and Janet Jones was not unlike the wedding of Charles and Diane. <laughs> right. It was, it was just nuts. Yeah, that was the, the, the prince and princess of Canada. That's Dan. I'm Randy. You, we've got uh, You're Killing Me Smalls, a quick You're Killing Me Smalls coming up. And then later on at the bottom of this hour, we're going to hear from Ken Rogers. He is one of the directors of The Tuck Rule, the call that changed it all. It's going to be seen next week on ESPN with a 30 for 30. And we'll talk about that because it kind of changed things for us, too. That's next on 101 ESPN, or two segments down on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Damn, we're all excited for David Ortiz, former Boston Red Sox star, made the Hall of Fame, and his estranged wife, Tiffany, put on the Insta. Super congratulations, Dio. Proud of you. Well-deserved. It's been a hell of a ride. 
She also has filed for divorce and wants to kick him <laughs> out of their Miami home because, if you're not aware of this, after she nursed him back to health after he got shot in the Dominican, she found out he got shot on the orders of drug kingpin El Abusar. Mr. Abusar was upset that Ortiz was having an affair with his girlfriend and bought her a mm. Lexus, so Abusar had Ortiz shot. It was a miracle that Ortiz survived, and so Tiffany, not happy with the fact that David got shot because he was having an affair with somebody else, and she wants him out of their Miami home. I don't blame her. I mean, that's okay. I, hey, she's entitled to her opinion, and mm-hmm. they had a nice run, um, and obviously he put up big numbers in Major League Baseball, but sometimes it's just time to move on, especially after shootings. Yeah, I think so. If you nurse somebody back to health, yeah. and it turns out that they weren't healthy because they were having an affair with the drug kingpin's wife or girlfriend, not a great way to, not a great look. Probably time to move on. I, I've been thinking about this. If we're back to uh, a normal ceremony at the Hall of Fame uh, this upcoming summer, Randy, what do you, do you think that there's going to be some of the Hall of Famers, not the crowd? The crowd will be big because it's Boston and it's Ortiz and he's beloved. Mm-hmm. You think some of the Hall of Famers stay away? Because of the suspected or the failed test in 2003 that got out. I would think so. Don't you? I do. I think there'll be some that will. I think it'll be a storyline, certainly, of what's happening in Cooperstown, which is disappointing because there's others like Jim Cott that we had here in St. Louis that are going in and deserve to have that recognition with everybody that is available and can be there. Mm -hmm. You're killing me, Small. Dan Rochelle Ryan apparently is just a terrific actress. Uh, who is she? Uh, she is an adult film star. Oh, who have you seen some ha- of her films? I have not, but I've heard now okay. that she will guarantee a Bengals Super Bowl victory if she can add Joe Burrow to her roster during Super Bowl week in L.A. She's going to be there. Which we roster? Uh, her roster of conquests, as okay. it were. I wasn't sure if she's like playing FanDuel or something. Uh, that. She she may be. So anyway, uh, okay. it, it seems as if Rochelle Ryan wants to uh, lay in a biblical way with you. Joe Burrow, mm. and she's going to be in L.A. If you're the Bengals, do you, and she's guaranteeing this, do you take her up on it? Uh, no, because uh, you know what they say at times, Randy, for athletes to abstain for a while, mm-hmm. you know, during um, maybe a great run of tennis or some other physical activity sure. that involves sports. Mm-hmm. So you want to make boxing sure you... most famously. There you go. Boxing, wrestling, whatever. But uh, you, you want him in tip-top condition. And by the way, Joe Burrow has a girlfriend, and she has been his girlfriend since he was at Ohio State. Long-time girlfriend. So yeah, she might not be... he went to Ohio State. Yeah. She might not be on board with this. I, I doubt she is. Uh, however, it's an interesting uh, proposal, but... I, I think if I'm the Bengals front office, I say, hey, Joe, just uh, stay in the hotel room, go do your dinners, keep it on the rails, and let's go get a win on Sunday. And uh, here's another one. You're Dan. killing me, Small. Yes, sir. Owner Stephen Ross, Miami Dolphins, responds to the Brian Flores comments by saying, quote, with regards to the allegations being made by Brian Flores, I am a man of honor and integrity and cannot let them stand without responding. Can he really be a man of honor and integrity if he's an NFL owner? No. And also, did you see how quickly the NFL was ready to respond with all these things? Yeah. I mean, they were they were ready to go. 
This yeah. is coming out, boom, there's a press release. Oh, the Giants, press release. NFL, press release. They were ready to roll, man. The NFL has somebody in their PR department that responds to every single lawsuit by saying these charges are without merit. Right. They said it about the St. Louis lawsuit. Well, it's going to catch up to him. By the way, Cameron Wolf, NFL Network, props to Cameron Wolf for going on the air and saying, hey, I got a witness that was there when Ross told Flores he'd give him 100 grand per loss. I also think that with the Cleveland situation that came out yesterday. With Hugh Jackson? There's going to be more of these uh, coaches that I think feel like, you know what, I these guys have taken a stand. They put their careers on the line. I've got info that is like that or similar or whatever, and I'm going to come out and I'm going to say something too because this is a movement that we need to change. And I, I wouldn't shock mm-hmm. me one bit if we have some of these guys do that. That's your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a new 30 for 30 is coming up. It's called The Tuck Rule, the call that changed it all. And the director of The Tuck Rule, Ken Rogers, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I had to play the other side of the fence when I came here. I, I saw the facility and I said, the first thing I'm going to say to break the ice is that it was a fumble. And so uh, I, I felt like I ingratiated myself to him pretty well right off the bat. If you were still in New England and you saw Mark Davis, it probably wouldn't have been a fumble. Yeah, but. <laughs> probably. Probably. I'm part of Raider Nation now, so it was a fumble. Josh McDaniels, the new head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, who was with the Patriots for the Tuck Rule game on January 19th of 2002. And now there's a 30 for 30 documentary coming up about the Tuck Rule. And it's going to be February 6th at 7.30 here in St. Louis on ESPN. Ken Rogers directed this documentary for ESPN and joins us now on Carriker and Danny Mack. Ken, thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I guess with the Immaculate Reception, this is, in terms of rules, the most controversial play, right? These two are the most controversial plays in the history of the league. I think so. And, you know, you had a, had a bunch of them in the 70s that people talk about that lasted for a long time, the Holy Roller and, you know, the Immaculate Reception. Raiders were always involved, it seems. <laughs> um, and, and the tuck rule fits that mold. And and I've been thinking recently that, you know, this was the age, 2002, before social media. And uh, while the tuck rule would have just been a, uh, just a huge topic on social media, I also think it might have burned bright and then gone away and we would have moved on to the next, the next thing, the next, uh, the next week. There seems to always be something to talk about on social media. But in 2002, when this play happened and it led to the Patriots winning the Super Bowl, it reverberated all offseason. It changed the course of the Raiders' entire franchise. It changed the course of the entire Patriots franchise. And I think it sticks around because, you know, it was such a, a landmark millisecond in the history of the NFL that changed everything. Ken, the tentacles reached here to St. Louis because when the Patriots uh-huh. beat the Rams in Super Bowl 36, the next year they started 0-5. Kurt Warner had won the MVP in two out of three years. After that Super Bowl, he only started seven more games for the Rams before he was gone. 
they reach uh, really across the league. Um, and the Raiders would tell you, well, nothing much would have changed elsewhere because we would have beat the Rams too. I don't know. If, uh, do you think they would have? Do you, do you think they would have won the next week? Well, you know, they certainly think they would have. Um, and the Patriots' point of view in the film is: listen, the Tuck rule didn't win anything. The Tuck rule just kept the game going when the Raiders could have kneeled on the ball, but they still had to continue driving down the field. They still needed Adam Vinatieri to kick the greatest field goal in, in history. Mm-hmm. They needed. Tom Brady to drive the ball down the field in overtime, kick another field goal in in those conditions, then beat the Steelers, then beat the Rams. And so the Patriots' point of view to the Raiders is the tuck rule is just one moment in this long string of things that we did that season. But you're right, the, the things that stem from that, when you think about you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers end up getting John Gruden from the Raiders for the, for the next season, who then beat the Raiders. And, you know, maybe the Raiders would have won if, if Gruden had stuck around and Gruden would have stuck around if the tuck rule went the Raiders way. So now the, maybe the Bucks don't win that Super Bowl in 02 and, and maybe, you know, they get a different coach. So who knows which direction that, that goes, you know, it was rumored Steve Mariucci was going to go there from the 49ers mm. and that would have been the trade. Wow. Well, then what would have happened to the 49ers? And, I mean, you can really just get lost in what really what's big right now, the multiverse. You know, you watch Marvel movies and everyone's talking about the multiverse. This this is really an NFL version of that. So the 30 for 30s are great because it's a deep dive and they give you a lot of time to do uh, a deep dive on what is a single play. And I'm sure you could have gone five hours on this thing. So who who's all who are all the participants that you got to to talk about this particular play? What, how, how far are the tentacles yeah. of this play that you were able to get people to sit down and honestly speak about it? So all so all those tentacles are are present. But as a filmmaker, you know, you have to pick a point of view. Um, And the most interesting thing to us was that the two people involved, whose lives changed the most, maybe, Tom Brady, Charles Woodson, certainly Tom Brady's life changed the most, had been college roommates or college teammates uh, at the University of Michigan. They shared a locker room in their freshman year. They came in together. You know, Charles ended up winning the Heisman, and, and Tom came into the league 199th. They were these polar opposite sort of paths to the NFL, and then this moment happened. And in 20 years, they had uh, 20 years since they had never spoken about it. Mm, is so that we, right? We spend we spend most of the film with Brady and Woodson, watching this play, watching the game, talking about how it affected them arguing really (laughs) and i mean you can imagine these are friends and this moment really pushed both of them on opposite paths it switched their almost their identities you know the the heisman trophy winner all of a sudden was on a raiders team that that didn't win a super bowl when he thought they were going to win multiple ones and all of a sudden tom brady the backup quarterback at michigan who was, you know, kind of a slow, goofy uh, freshman when he arrived, he, he's on the path to become the greatest. They'd never spoken about it. So this film is really like a therapy session between Brady and Woodson. I was going to say, it, it feels like it almost had to be an emotional conversation between those two. It goes back and forth. I mean, it, it's 
there's anger there. You'll see some <laughs> real anger from from Charles. And shockingly, I think from Tom saying, like, no, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. This was the ruling, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I think I, I, I think you you can see both sides as a uh, as an outsider. You can say, oh, I, you know what, they're both right. Jeez, that's really hard. And so they argue and argue really to the point of absurdity where they're arguing about, you know, penalties on each other that both would have incurred on that play. And it, I mean, it, it goes so deep. They're so into it. And, and at the end, they sort of just agree to disagree. And they talk about how life is like this. There's this moment. And so uh, while we have Walt Coleman who made the call and, and both owners and Bill Belichick and, you know, the the usual suspects of Brewski and Brown and McGinnis on the Patriots and stuff. The the core of it is this therapy session. Ken Rogers, director of the Tech Rule, the call that changed it all is our guest here on 101 ESPN. All right, from your personal opinion, what did you take away from it? Was it a pass? Was it a fumble? What do you think? The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, done. <laughs> yeah. Um no, you know, that's a very political answer, but here, here's how I, I actually do break it down, that um, in by rule, it was an incomplete pass. By spirit, it was a fumble. And I think that's what's so polarizing about it is by the technicality of how the rule was written and how the officials were asked to enforce it, it had nothing to do with where Tom Brady's arm was. It was either did the ball get all the way back to his body or did it not get all the way back to his body. So by rule, you can say, okay, I can see that's, that's an incomplete pass by rule. But by spirit, he obviously wasn't passing the ball. He admits in the film, I, I, yeah, I wasn't passing the ball, but intent had nothing to do with it. So if you're a Raiders fan, you go, but – if you weren't passing the ball, it was a fumble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's common sense. You, you know, that's the hundred people in the bar argument. Everyone would say, yeah, that's a fumble. And that's the power of this rule is that it was right, but the rule really wasn't a good rule. But the the league really was trying to, to find a way to, to rule on something that to this day is very hard to, to grasp. You know, when is a ball done being thrown and when does it become a fumble it's really difficult ken you talked about a lot of the what ifs and so i'll throw this one at you did you ask what if it was ruled a fumble and the raiders win does tom brady still have his job or were they going to go back to drew Bledsoe in the following season i do and tom gives a very very honest answer that he that he's not sure. In fact, he, he, he believes, I think you'll see in the film that he, he might've not been the starter after that year, because you got to remember he would have lost his first playoff game as a second year player. And Drew Bledsoe was, you know, something like a $110 million quarterback who they had just paid. Tom has doubts. Um, and I think that's one of the things that you can look at in maybe everyone's career, but certainly in his career is, you know, sure that, that one went his way and it led to all this stuff, but he'll think about, uh, you know, the Tyree catch and how it went against him. And if only that one millisecond 
and one millimeter went the other way, he would have had the greatest team ever, you know, in, in 2007. So like, there's all these moments. Um, and I, I, I don't think a lot of people agree with Tom, but I think he thinks about it. <laughs> Ken Rogers of uh, NFL films and ESPN and the ESPN presentation of the tuck rule, seven thirty Sunday night, a couple more quick things. I remember leading up to that super bowl. I talked to Leslie Visser and Dan Shaughnessy. I was at uh, that super bowl. Obviously the Rams were in it. Mm-hmm. And both of them said that that Vinatieri field goal had been the greatest moment of their Boston sports lives. Now, obviously a lot has changed. The Red Sox won a world series for the first time in 86 years. Brady's done all of his things. But you mentioned that field goal being the greatest field goal in the history of the league. And as much disdain as I have for what happened with all of that, here sitting here in St. Louis, that is the greatest field goal in the history of the league. I mean, there's some shots in the film where, you know, especially from the opposite uh, end zone, the ball goes up and it disappears immediately. It it, it was just such conditions that – it was bad, bad footing. It was pressure like you could never believe. Remember, Vinatieri wasn't Vinatieri at the at mm-hmm. the time. You know, he he like the rest of the Patriots franchise was was unknown. And to hit forty five yards into the snow like that, it was such a line drive. Um, and what's interesting in the film, you sort of hear. Uh, players from the Raiders admit that the the last thing the Raiders wanted to do was jump off sides because that would have put the Patriots closer to the field goal and given Adam a closer kick. So they didn't all out rush at the snap because they were, you know, the, the last thing they wanted to do was just jump a little bit early. So they were a little tentative and that allowed Adam to kick a more line drive kick right over their heads, which is the only reason it got there. And then it's, it's something when you watch it over and over, you go, that's not going in. And then it just disappears. And all of a sudden you see the, the officials raise their arms and you're like, I, I can't believe it. (laughs) It's really, it's really great. And finally, Ken, I look at the list of things that you've directed or worked with. I'm a big fan of hard knocks. Al Davis versus the NFL was great. The, the two bills, but one of the things that I really loved was when you got Belichick and Saban to sit down. I was enthralled by that. You're obviously a football fan. How cool was that for you just to be sitting there, listen to those two talk about coaching, talk about philosophy, talk about football. Uh, talk about life. That's mm-hmm. what I took away from yeah, it. Yeah. It's like if you want, if you want to learn about success, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can look at all these shortcuts to how to how to succeed in life. But Belichick and Saban make it pretty pretty clear that you know it, it's hard work, but it's also just not overcomplicating things. It's breaking it down to the to the simplistic. Uh, messages and the simplistic teachings of football. The the thing I thought was going to happen going into the film is uh, Belichick and Saban are going to talk so over my head, let alone the audience's head about football that it's just going to be all X's and O's stuff. That's just too much for people to grasp, but that's not what, that's not who they are as coaches. They know all that stuff, but their job is to translate that into everyday speak. And when you watch the film, 
I come away thinking like, uh, I need to, I need to live my life like they coach. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's funny, Ken, because I was just saying to Dan yesterday, literally yesterday, I was telling him about we were talking about analytics, and I was t- talking about uh, Belichick. T- telling Saban, I get on the plane and I've got all these coaches on their iPads, and I say, guys, we didn't lose this because of analytics and iPads. We lost it because we didn't block and tackle. And I, I just love that stuff. That's what you hear from Belichick all the time. <laughs> Fundamentals, you know, situations. It's not about figuring out all the different ways to uh, run plays. It's what are the right plays at the right time and make sure that those plays are practiced. It's uh, it's something that he he and Saban have really mastered. And people think it's about complication, and it's actually about simplifying life. It's simply it's about looking at what's really important and getting rid of the distractions. Well, I loved in the two bills. It looks like Bill Parcells begrudgingly is there at the behest maybe of Belichick, <laughs> and I can't imagine uh, like as a director, cause I do a lot of TV. So I, I sit into a room. Sometimes you sit down a guy and you can just tell this is the last place they really want to be. And they know some of the questions coming and they're like, okay, I got to answer it. I'm going to do it. All right, um, let's do it. That's what I took away from the two bills. I love that part of it. When he sits down, he's like, all right, let's go get this thing going. Let's go. Yep. No, it's, that was talk about a therapy session. This was Belichick and Parcells when they, first met in that locker room, uh, I was sitting behind the cameras going, Oh boy, this is not going to go well. Yeah. You know, this, <laughs> like th- their, their approach to each other was very cold and Hey, how you doing? Co- Bill, Bill, sit down. All right. We ready. And I'm like, Oh boy, this, <laughs> this isn't going to go well. And yet I, by the end, they're joking and pushing back against me as the director that they don't want to go into the Jets locker room, uh, which I've, I I asked them to do on camera, and they say no, we're not going in there. What? We're out of here, and they rebel against me as a team, and and literally refuse to go back to the past to the Jets locker room and go and revisit the past, and they they just walked out like they they ended the interview. I had more stuff I wanted to do, but they're like, no, where's the elevator? And I love that. They they bonded by the end of that film and just got back together and and just walked out on me. And I said, "Well, that's the perfect ending in the film." It so really is. They came in here. They came in here like not knowing what this was going to be like, and they're walking out friends and and compatriots. It was really fascinating. Well, Ken Rogers, uh, obviously, we we love your work. I think we've made that pretty abundantly clear here. Can't wait for Sunday night, 7.30 St. Louis time for the Tuck Rule documentary on ESPN. Thanks so much for your time. It's been very entertaining and have a great day. Oh, Thanks for having me. See you later. Fun. Ken Rogers, great director, and what a great resume he has at NFL Films. Down at uh, Jupiter, as you well know, um, Randy, it, during baseball season or during spring training, normal times, you walk down two booths from where I'm at, small stadium, there's Bill Parcells hey. hanging out. One day, I sat there and watched a whole game, two and a half, three hours, with Bill Parcells. We weren't doing radio at the time. He was out of coaching at yeah. the time. I don't know if it was before it must. Yeah, it was before he went to Dallas and we talked ball, baseball, football, life all night. It was one of the greatest days of my life. And one thing I said was, and he had left the Jets and I said, 
you think you'll ever do it again? He said, I got to do something. He said, yeah. I just can't sit around and do nothing. I got to do something. So probably. And yeah. he's, that, that was must-see TV. That was when Bill Parcells, and actually ESPN, when he was with the Cowboys, they would put his press conference on TV every his Monday press conference on TV. Yeah, Dan and I are going to wrap things up this edition of uh, Danny Mac and Carriker on 101 ESPN. We'll wrap things up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack, Matt Rocchio, Randy Carricker headed down the stretch of Carricker and Smallman for a Thursday on 101 ESPN. We aren't seeing many cars out there, which is no. good. That means you're being smart by not driving. Dan is going to take some time before he gets out on the road because he's going to join the, the balloon party. You got it. I'll be with uh, Tim McKernan for a segment, my weekly segment with uh, Timmy. So I'll visit with him. I'm sure we'll get caught up on some of the news of the day and what he wants to get into. And... Uh, you know, fill a few minutes for him. I guess that's the best way to put it. I wonder who's all coming in uh, today. Is uh, We got Tim here. You're here. I'm here. Matt's here. Uh, Doesn't it appear as if BK and Ferrario are going saying to be the hell here? With it, huh? Tanner is in the house. You count on Tanner. Yeah, and uh, those guys are setting up from home. It's hard to get in today. I mean, we're going to, by the time their show's at mid-show, we're going to have like uh, 74 inches of snow on the ground. 74. Like, yeah. 74. Four inches of snow. So we hear, Matt. You've seen the latest forecast, right? We're in storm mode here. Yeah, I believe it's on 101 I, I think actually it's gotten a little lighter. We had about an hour break. There. I think it's down to 62 inches of snow. Everybody, sorry. Well, it's coming down pretty hard right now. So be careful wherever you're listening. If you're in your car, be careful and uh, listening on the app. Be careful too. Dan, do you, uh, Matt? Do you guys do Wordle? No. I do. I, I do it, and it took me six times this morning to Ooh. do it. So when I come downstairs, Joan has a uh, omelet made for me every morning. Isn't that sweet done. that she does? She's the best. But we're done. Yeah, I, I also she has now for the last few weeks saying, "Hey, did you do Wordle this morning?" So I do it right when I get up. So what kind of omelet does she uh, make for you? It usually is a uh, like a veggie omelet. Oh. It's like uh, tomatoes, mushrooms, stuff like that. And you had your uh, slow roasted chicken last night. I did, and it was really good. Yeah, I had a slow cooker chicken that I did from 11 to 6 and had it last night. It was very good. I'm going to have uh, actually a piece of that for lunch today. Why couldn't you uh, get on the Traeger, even if it's snowing? Come on. Snow and ice. And I've the uh, cover for the Traeger is oh, not a, yeah. like uh, it's not a flexible vinyl. So, like, when it's cold outside, if you lift the cover off, it just maintains the shape. I got gotcha. you. It's just not worth the hassle. Yeah, don't do that. Don't mess up the Traeger. Don't mess up the cover. You've got a lot more importing, uh, important outings coming up that you need to take care of. And happy National Carrot Cake Day. I yeah. apologize, Dan. Because I, I am know disappointed. That, uh, the Randy Carricker Carrot Cake is one of the McLaughlin household favorites. I, I Let's see. Dessert-wise, number one. I think you're number one. That's... High praise. Thank yeah. you. And my wife is a great cook. She's awesome. Um, but she's, I think she's more careful. She tries to cook pretty healthy. So uh-huh. we don't have a ton of, you know, the, the, like the sweets and stuff. The girls make a lot of sweets. They're, they're good. Mm-hmm. They make good cookie. They make the sugar cookies with the uh, M&Ms. Oh, yum. Especially on uh, snowy days. I bet they're probably doing that right now. Um, but man, Libby, Libby can flat out cook, man. And uh, but I'm going to tell you, that carrot cake that you put together is second. You can go to a restaurant; it's not as good as the best carrot cake restaurant you've 
had. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it, that. I'm serious about that. I, I got I, it in I, five, I, Randy. Pardon me? I got it in five. Oh, good. I, it took me six today. It took me. I, I was in. I was in a rough start. I had just one yellow through two. Oh man, I, yeah. I came through on that third one. I love that Ken Rogers interview. You can hear it again it if you missed it. You can just go to one hundred one ESPN.com or the one hundred one ESPN app. Listen to our podcast, which is brought to you by Dobbs Tired Auto Centers, and it, it was fun. And we will have another fun day tomorrow. Already Friday tomorrow. This day, this uh, week is flying by. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in today. Uh, Matthew, great job as always. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Daniel, you ready to do another 7 o'clock tomorrow? Oh, I'm always ready, Randall. No big deal. I love doing it. It's fun. It is awesome. I'm enjoying it immensely. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.